is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Fascinating, fascinating story coming to us from the state of California. I found this pretty interesting. I think a lot of this, a lot of us have... Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, I don't know what that was, Matt. What, what, What was that? I can't hear you if you talk. I'm not sure if the audience can either. All right. Um, did, Matt, what was that? Do you have any uh, explanation? Nah, I'm still not hearing you. All right. Um, hopefully the audience could. Could the audience hear Matt just now? I don't think so. All right. All right. Well, we're off to a stellar start, as uh, you can tell. Either you can hear Matt or I can't. Either way, it's certainly not a... Oh, can, uh, now you can hear Oh, yes. Now we there can we go. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. So the audience could not hear you a minute ago. They hear that? Yes. Yeah. Now they yeah. heard me. Okay, all right. So what was that uh, that that stinger there that interrupted uh, it, what was about to be a really was, blockbuster commentary? <laughs> it was the ghost of Christmas. I see. Okay. All I right. did not hit anything. All right. Uh, very good. Thank you. Uh, now, I have thought long and hard about what would happen if I came upon a truck on the highway that was loaded with cash. You know, you've all seen a Brinks truck or all sorts of things, and this cash is just rolling around on the street, in on the highway, for anybody to take who can grab it. What would you do in that instance? 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. That is precisely what happened recently in California, when this armored truck spilled its trove on this California highway, sparking a cash grab frenzy, the truck's doors flew open at around 9 a.m. on a Friday, sending bills flying all over Interstate 5, halting traffic as drivers got out of their cars to snatch what they could according to the California Highway Patrol. A video posted by a TikTok user showed drivers frantically picking up bills. Some yelped with joy while posing with their loot in the middle of the road with traffic at a standstill. Um, One person says on this TikTok video, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. San Diego has shut down. Literally, it has shut down. The driver of the armored truck tried to retrieve the cash before realizing how futile his efforts were and then began recording those who were taking the money. And you see the images. There's money just all over the street for anybody that wants to take it. So I want you to tell me what you would do if you came upon an armored truck that was spraying cash all over the highway. 800-848-9222 now. As you contemplate your response to my question, 
I want you to listen to what's happened to at least two of the people who were grabbing some of this cash in California. An adult couple, a man and a woman, were arrested on suspicion of taking some of the money after getting locked out of their vehicle on the roadway. So these two were in such a rush to grab cash, they actually got rock, locked out of their vehicle. So they've seen, we've seen arrests. We saw a traffic jam, but very few arrests. Apparently there were a lot of people grabbing money and very few people being arrested. So far, from what it looks like, only two people. What would you do? 800-848-9222. I used to, when I was first driving, uh, maybe I was 18, 19, 20 years old, really hard up for cash, couldn't even get enough money to fill my gas, uh, gas tank. I would dream about stuff like this happening, just coming upon a random truck with cash falling out of it. You grab a couple of bills, you move on. But ultimately, and I don't know if this is maybe – me being um, a, a greater believer in karma. Maybe it's me growing a little more mature. Maybe it's me becoming slightly less financially uh, destitute. I would not take the cash. I really wouldn't. Or if I took the cash, if I grabbed it, I would return it to the driver. Quite simply because it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to wherever that cash is going. So why should you, without even the cost of buying a lottery ticket, get to benefit financially from finding this cash on the street? And I've thought about scenarios like this all the time. You have the movie A Simple Plan where Billy Bob Thornton and I think Bill Paxton come upon this uh, mysterious bag of cash. But what would you do here? You're in this situation, highway, truck, spewing out money. What would you do? Now, chances are pretty good you're going to get away with it. But you might get arrested. Once they start recording people, as this driver apparently started to do, and they're trying to track down these people, chance you could get arrested. But whether you can get arrested or not, would that affect your decision? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Dave in Bogota, New Jersey, the town that Steve Lonigan used to be the mayor of. Hello, Dave. <laughs> Frank, how are you? Um, listen, I uh, <laughs> I was I was laughing because I was talking to your screener. And um, he asked me what you were doing with the money. I didn't even know what you were talking about. Okay, I I called for a, a, another question, but um, I thought it was a um, you know ask Frank anything uh, hour. Um, uh, well, I mean if that he, is on that is on Fridays, but but uh, while I have you on the phone, Dave, go ahead. What's your, what's your question? So he asked me, what would you do with the money? And I said, I'd spend it. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? Of course I'd spend it. Interesting. You know? <laughs> but, Interesting. But man. I didn't know. I didn't know the truck, um, whatever, crashed and the money, you know, went all over the place uh, on a highway. I think you're talking about um, this happened, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, right? Right. It did. Well, I was off for a couple of weeks. Keep that in mind. It was dollar bills. Yes, that's right. Right, dollar bills. All right. I mean, dollar bills, I mean, you got to collect a lot of dollars to um, actually put yourself in that situation, whether you're going to get arrested or, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, you know, that's 
right or wrong, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, if there's an answer. I, I, I guess it's the wrong thing to do. I agree with you on that. So, but can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, Curtis last night um, asked the question a couple of weeks ago about the Bulldog edition of the New of the uh, Daily News and the New York Post. Yep, I heard. I heard him he, talk he, about that. Yeah, and he heard um, he put it out there, but he never gave the answer. Well, that's so. what he does. That's what he does. Curtis doesn't either can't remember or can't think of an answer, and then he throws it out there as, as a trivia question, hoping someone will know the correct answer, and then he can pretend that he knew that answer all along. Okay. All right. I, I get it, but I called him, and I asked him. I said, you left this hanging. I said, you know, what's the answer? I'm an MDU driver. I've been working for the New York Post for 18 years. Oh. And I said, I've, I've delivered the bulldog. I said, but I ne- I've heard the term, obviously, but I never knew what the answer was. And I called a lot of people today, actually, asking them, you know, what the answer was. And no one could give me an okay. answer. And I never, even, I never even thought to Google it. All right. Well, so... Uh, the, uh, let me uh, let me. It's a little anticlimactic, but the short answer is no one really knows. A lot of people have researched this, going back to H. L. Mencken uh, in the I think the fifties. Oh, you know this? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've looked into it as well. So, um, okay. But w- there's several theories as to what the origin was. Short answer is no one knows. One early explanation of the term came from a trade magazine called Editor and Publisher, which said back in 1932 that uh, the term began in the 1890s when the New York World and the Herald and the Journal would all fight like bulldogs to get out editions that would catch the the, um, the males going out of town. So that's one theory. Okay. Yes, and that that I that I, I I can agree with. Do you know what his answer was, though? I don't. He told me uh, on air that they used to the Daily News drivers the Daily News drivers used to keep bulldogs in the back of their trucks. No, no. Well, that's not I, true. Well, Frank, I started laughing at him. Right. I'm not laughing at him. I was laughing because I thought that was a funny answer. Okay. So for the next two hours, he was bashing me. I was listening, and he was bashing me on air. And I'm trying to call back, and he wouldn't put me on the air, right? And the screener is saying you can't call back twice on the same question. And I said, well, he's calling me out on the air. I said, he's telling me to call back, and he wouldn't put me back on the air. So I was frustrated. So I'm glad that you actually um, – answer the question and are more yeah i mean again there are a lot of other theories thank you for the call uh one one person said it was applied to an early edition because that was the first dog to bark uh some uh, you know there are a lot of theories short answer is no one knows i've looked into it as well 800-848-WABC you see a truck on the highway there's cash falling out of it thousands of dollars as was the case with this california truck and now the FBI is partnering with the California Highway Patrol to try and track down who might have been taking this cash. Let's say you came upon this scene. Be honest. This is a judgment-free zone. I'm not going to bite your head off. Not a bulldog, for instance. What would you do? 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Dan in Farmingdale. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, congratulations on the uh, your blessed event. Thanks very much. Online. 
And uh, you obviously take the money and run. This is not like an old lady who dropped a pocketbook. If this is the Brinks truck that's federally insured, you take the money and run. And I heard your last. Lost you there, Dan. He uh, hung up there. I didn't hang up on him. But uh, it sounds like he was an advocate of taking the money and running uh, because Brinks is, is insured. I don't buy that. You know, banks are insured, too. By the FDIC, does that mean, or uh, they're they're insured in the event of robbery or theft? Does that mean you should rob banks? No, because that money doesn't belong to you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Adam is in Edison, New Jersey. Hello, Adam. Hey, in a sense, you know, um, the same thing sort of happened to me. I won some money at uh, the not the casino, the racetrack in Monmouth Park, and. Uh, they gave me three thousand bucks instead of something like three hundred. And oh, uh, so what I did you do? The, See, that is an interesting question. Uh, I, when it comes, I had the mind. I had the mind to keep it, but I I knew that uh, that eventually they'd figure things out, and I just said, and I, I actually did some. I inquired about it, not to them, but to other people, and they said, you know, lawyers and stuff that I have friends and this stuff. They said, no, you can keep it. It was their mistake. You you should keep it. And I, I nevertheless. I didn't keep it. And I want to say one more thing. Wow. Well, you're um, you're I, I got to be honest, Adam, you are a much better man than I, because at any gambling institution, they uh, they are so proficient at taking my money. If they're going to put money in front of me to take and say, here you go. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a different ball game than taking random money on the street. They're They're giving me that money. But you're a better man than I am. Clearly, Adam. That's uh, p- perhaps. Uh, I want to say one more thing. I like your new outfit. I wasn't crazy about Al Gatulo at the other place or the host, Joe. I just didn't find them humor. I, they were not humor humorous guys. And I prefer you a lot more. And well, I, I, like I appreciate your, your uh, I appreciate the compliment. Obviously, those guys are friends of mine, especially Joe Piscopo does a great job on the uh, Sundays with Sinatra show. Uh, every I was listening to him last night. He was playing that Christmas song that's on the Sinatra Ring-A-Ding-Ding album. So great to hear Sinatra uh, when it comes to Christmas. He also played a wonderful duet of Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby that just gave me chills. So if you if you haven't liked Joe in some of the other radio incarnations that you've heard him on, definitely consider listening to him on WABC Sunday nights for the Ramsey, Ramsey Mazda Sunday with Sinatra program. It's a great show. 800-848-9222. You come upon a truck with cash pouring out of it. What do you do? 800-848-WABC. Jeremy is in Queens. Hello, Jeremy. Yeah, hi, how you doing, Frank? Listen, I had something the opposite happen to me, where the truck came upon me. Okay, let me explain to you real quick. What happened is, I'm on, I'm in, in Queens. I'm like in a story, you know, Steinway, 41st Street. And I'm standing on the corner. They used to have a bar over there, but they, they're out of business now. So I come out about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm half crock. And I'm standing right on the corner. So... And this station wagon, first a few cars, then a station station wagon packed with Spanish people that are arguing. You can hear them half a block up. The thing slows down. It's got stuff topped off on the top of the station wagon, a ton of stuff, baggage and stuff. And all of a sudden, the car hits, the driver hits the gas big time. He swerves. He goes over something. It must have been a muffler or a tire on the street. I don't know. And the car jumps 
and one or two of the things, the pieces of luggage on top come off. But this guy's doing like 80, 90 at wow. this point. He's just taking off. He's going up Steinway like, like a rocket ship. So I, I look and I see the stuff in the street. I, I, I'm like maybe 15 feet away from this, this madman driver. <laughs> you know, he's gone now. I walk into the street. I look down. There's one of those things like when you have a baby, you pack it with bottles right, and diapers sure. and stuff. It's like a big pouch, right? And there's a small suitcase. Well, I guess when the suitcase hit the ground, it impacted, it opened up, it was closed. So I, I pick up the, the baby pack, that big shoulder strap thing, and I feel it, and it's crunchy. I'm saying, what the hell's in here? I, I, un, I undo the zipper. The zipper was really hard, but I finally got it open. Inside are two bottles of room temperature milk. There's about three or four diapers, and Pressed into it, packed. Ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties. There were sixteen thousand eight hundred bucks in it. Wait, wait. You said sixteen or sixty? Sixteen grand. Sixteen. 16, wow. Sixteen eight hundred. Wow. So Unbelievable. We- and I'm looking at them, and, I, and I'm like, I took one bill out, and I I got this little pocket flashlight thing, you know, in case I got to use my keys, whatever. I'm half blind anyway. So. I, I run it through and I'm looking. The bill ain't no fake bill. It's a real bill. So I, I, I went to my sister-in-law's house. and I had the key, you know, her and her husband. So I go in the basement and I, I count this stuff out. Sixteen grand, eight hundred dollars So what'd you do, Jeremy? What'd you do? What did I do? I, I What am I going to do with it? I don't know who these people are. I don't know where the hell they went. They took off at 90 miles an hour, screaming and yelling at each other. And uh, I sat back and I said, something told me, call the cops. Maybe they're going to report it. But you know what? You know what? Listen, it's called fate. It's called destiny. The money was destined to be there for me at 2 o'clock in the morning, right off Steinway. So you kept the money? <laughs> I put it to good use. No, no, no. I, I, I can imagine. Well, so um, it's funny. I wondered about, about that kind of situation, too, because unlike the, the armored truck, which randomly – accidentally had the door fly open. It sounds like that, it, based on your description, that was probably some drug dealers or some gang members trying to run away from the cops uh, and, and, and doing so in great haste, and they lost the money in that aspect. You don't necessarily feel, I don't know, you don't necessarily feel as bad about taking money from somebody like that as you might from total strangers. Am I right, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. But you know what? Too when when the cars zoomed by, I, I I was caught. I was like ten, fifteen feet away, and I'm looking right into it. There's a woman with a kid. She's got a kid. One woman's got the kid in the arm. The other woman is arguing with the driver. And there's a guy in the back. He looks like he looked like he was he was he was stoned out on something. This is all in like a two second look. And I, it could have been a family that was their freaking life savings. But why why do you put it on top? Why don't you put it? on the seat next to you. You know what I'm saying? But um, so did you, did you, did you talk about this with your wife or anybody else as you were contemplating whether or not to call the cops? Or not? <laughs> listen, listen, I didn't, I didn't tell nobody that, about it. See, that's what you got to do. Is, that's is, always the key. This is the second, this is the second time I ever, this is a long time ago, Frank. This isn't yesterday. This is quite a while back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I got exactly what you're saying. Well, Jeremy, uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope it worked out well for you. And I appreciate the perspective. Yeah.
Thanks, Jeremy. If that happens to anybody else, you could feel free to, you know, you. I always like if that happened to me, I would give a substantial portion of it to charity, and then I would probably spend the rest on friends. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw it into my uh, Roth IRA or, uh, you know, spend it on myself. I would probably get it on gifts for people. Right. And give some to charity just because I feel like there's a karmic. I don't know. There's a karmic element at play, but it sounds like things worked. It worked out well for Jeremy. At the end of the day, though, here's where I can't wrap my head around. It's not your money. Right. It's not your money. You didn't earn it. You didn't even earn it. Forget about getting paid for it from uh, a job. You didn't even earn it gambling wise. Like you get. The first scenario that that uh, that caller mentioned where the the racing track gave him $3,000 instead of $300, I have no problem taking that money. Because and again, I, I recognize this is not exactly consistent ethics on my part, but whatever. You you didn't come here for consistency, came here for honesty. Because that gambling parlor looks for every possible way to rip you off, and if you give them extra money, Nine times out of ten, they're taking it. So if they're going to make a mistake in your favor, I have no problem taking that money. So That's happened to me at the craps table. Sometimes uh, they've paid me when they thought I had a horn high yo, when in actuality I had horn high aces, and they'll give me $15 or $20 when I had a different bet than the one they paid me at. You know what I did? I took the money because they're awfully quick to take my money. Taking money from... A casino or a racing track, in my view, is different than taking money from an armored truck that's spilling cash onto the highway. It's also different, I think, than the example Jeremy gave, although it is interesting. See, what do you do in a situation like that? That's an even tougher ethical dilemma than the one that I um, than the one that I talked about. A friend of mine, for instance found, I think, $1,000 in a taxi cab. And this is years ago, twenty more than 20 years ago. And he was very eager to start a career as a videographer and a filmmaker. And he used that money that he found in the taxi cab to buy a very nice video camera. You can get one at that price at that time. And he launched a whole new career for himself with this thousand dollars that he found in the back of a taxi cab. It might have even been more than a thousand, might have even been two thousand. But he didn't even think about giving it back. But if you find that money on the street, or if you see this truck on the street, do you pick up the cash? Do you keep on driving? Do you retrieve some of the cash for the driver? And what if you know you're not going to be caught? If you know you're not going to be caught, do you keep the money? Do you give to the driver? Or do you keep on driving? 800-848-9222. But first, let me tell you about something that you can do that you'll really enjoy, which will not cost you a lot of money. And that is purchasing Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. Because if you go to GetTheTea.com and you use the promo code FRANK when you order, you can get free shipping anywhere in these United States. As you've heard from Joe from Ronkonkoma, Life Change Tea is a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. Stress can wreak havoc on our digestive system. And if you're feeling stopped up and bloated, that's never a good thing. 
Life Change Tea is all natural and non-GMO. One package will last you an entire month. Life Change Tea is only available by logging on to the website, getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Use the promo code FRANK, get free shipping. They have a lot of other great supplements on there. Get free shipping on it all if you go to getthetea.com and use the promo code FRANK. Seven days a week, every week of the month, and every month of the year, he's got us making presents, and I'm happy. Every girl and boy gets their own kind of toy. We like to fill them with joy. We're working over. That is the great Harry Connick Jr. A great Christmas song. I don't know that I've heard it. What a voice on Harry Connick Jr. You notice these days, you never hear much about Harry Connick Sr. You know who Harry Connick Sr. was? Nobody does. Well, maybe some people do. I mean, clearly I do. So chances are at least one of you does. Harry Connick Sr. is a lawyer, and he was the district attorney in New Orleans. And uh, he was the, the district attorney for years, I think something like maybe 30 years. And he, when he was DA, wrongfully convicted more people than maybe any DA in the country. They are still working on exonerating some of the people that Harry Connick Sr. Uh, put in prison. You look at his record as DA, it's, it's atrocious. It's atrocious. I mean, I'm sure he did lock up some guilty people, too. But certainly there were a lot of innocent people. But who's to say where the line exists between guilt and innocence. Am I right? Talking about the story out of California, where right now the California Highway Patrol is teaming with the FBI to determine who was grabbing cash along the highway. I know sometimes a fellow Paul just texted me. Why doesn't stuff like that ever happen to me? Well, let's pretend it does. Let's say you're driving right now, driving home, and you happen upon an armored truck that starts spraying cash onto the highway. What do you do? Do you keep driving? Do you pull over and pick it up? Do you pick it up and give it to the driver? Do you pick it up and get out of there? And is your decision affected knowing whether or not there's a chance that you're going to get arrested or not? 800-848-WABC. Josh is in Rockland County. Hello, Josh. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you, Josh? So I have two Good. Two things. Depends where it happens. If it happens in California, I mean, why why do you even need the money? Just go into a store and, you know, start shopping for free. But all jokes aside, I shop at a local convenience store, and the cashier, for some reason, he likes me or whatever, he never charges me for loose items, like without a barcode. Well, like so what? Give me an example. And, Give me an example of a loose item. Like, it would be a Frank or a Danish or like a cupcake or a coffee. Like, it's not traceable, whatever it went or somewhere. Okay, all right. Well, that goes on. That goes on. Okay. It's not like you're stealing it. He's giving it to you. Right. I would go the next day always and pay it because it's like, 
the store owner would never allow it, but I don't want to get him fired. Sure. So it's like a situation. I go to the other guy and I'm like, oh, I forgot to pay for that. Well, that's, you know, okay. All right. Well, that's your system. So you would, what would you do with this money coming out of the cash of the truck, the cash coming out of the truck here? I would actually ask my rabbi what the Jewish law is, because there's certain times when you find money in a public place, which the money is not traceable to know whose it is. You're permissible to, to keep it. But if you find it on someone's private property or you know for a fact whose money it is, and the guy could prove it, then you're not allowed. So it depends where and what the situation Interesting. was. Interesting. All right. I think the rabbi would probably tell you to make a hefty donation to his temple. I'm guessing that's what he would tell you. you know, it's funny. I think, um, I think this happened to my paternal grandfather, who I've never met. He died before I was born, but uh, I was named for him. I remember hearing a story from his brother. I have to ask my Aunt Camille about this. Where he 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 uh, discovered a suitcase filled with cash, and it turned out it belonged to some gangster, some local gangster, and he returned it to the local gangster. And I'm trying to remember what the gangster did. I think he might have gave him maybe a hundred bucks or something. It was something minor like that. It was not a substantial reward, but he gave it back. And I'd like to think I would give this money back or turn it in. One of the two, not at a casino, not at a race a racing farm. Now. You might ask, what's the difference if you're taking money that doesn't belong to you? The difference is I I don't know, but in my brain, there is a difference. 800-848-WABC. Michael is on the Upper East Side. Hello, Michael. Yes, I'm in the city. In any event, if it was dollar bills, sorry, I'm not going to bend down for dollar bills. However... If, and then I have a story to tell about cashing a check at the post office, um, if they were gold bars that were falling out of the truck, I would take them and I would feel absolutely ebullient. So tell me why, Michael, because... That was a pun, Frank. No, I get it. I get it. Okay, um, all right. But so... Okay, so I'm cashing a check at the post mm-hmm. office and uh, <clears throat> it was... Over a thousand dollars, and the postal clerk made a mistake and gave me a hundred extra. And I'm counting it twice because they never make a mistake. I count it twice, and I told her, I said, you know, I think you gave me a hundred extra. Her mouth opened, her eyes rolled. She said, Oh my God, thank you so much. They would have taken it out of her right. That that's exactly salary. what I was going to say. They take it out of your out of your salary if yeah. you make a mistake like that. Well, good for you. I'm glad you gave that money back. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Kevin in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Hello, Kevin. Thank you. Yes. What was what used to be the cradle of liberty? Uh, Frank, I think you and I share similar philosophies. When there's open money or something, we come across a loose bill. Yes, there's no name attached, and I believe that that's karma. I've been the poorest guy this side of heaven uh, throughout the period of my life. And twice over, once on the eve of the Y2K, December 31st, um, 1999, uh, one of the properties I had managed, I came across. uh, I was doing a little bit of yard work cleaning right there at a rotary intersection. And I came across a bank deposit. I was about to actually throw it out. 
and it had 11,600 and I think 67 or 66 dollars. Okay, that's substantial. And um, it had two names attached. Inside the deposit was the personal name of this couple and the other that was attached where a bulk of their money was, most in liquid, hard cash, was a, a local uh, sporting uh, goods store um, in the city that I had lived just north of Boston. Well, what did I do? That particular day, I was going to my bank to put $200 cash in my pocket so that if the computers went wild the following morning, I would have a little bit of cash on me. I wasn't mm-hmm. worried so much about the Y2K. Left it at my bank. The president of the bank, the local uh, cooperative, called, and this gentleman that owned the business said he put it on top of his car when he got in, and uh, uh, that's how it landed at, at the rotary there out where I was doing a little bit of cleaning. But believe it or not, I was about to throw that out. Hmm. Make a long story short on that one, that a few years later, I was doing a small development, and I ended up in gridlock with city officials, one in particular that was stubborn. Well, you know what? I called back the favor. And the favor, that guy, uh, the late, uh, should, can I give his last name, Lucci, uh, there in Medford, Massachusetts, did that guy go to bat for me? Holy moly. And geez, right up where he was connected with the, the local mayor at that time. And Jesus Christ, all the blocks that I was facing, it opened up the doors. Wow. And most recently. Yeah, and most recently this summer, as we've started to open up again with COVID, I started to work for a woman over in Boston's historic waterfront just on the weekends. I'm on a bike ride, 15 clicks outside the city, the Blue Hills Reservation, south of Boston. I'm on my bike, and, geez, I thought it was a gift card. So I stopped the bike on the side of the road. I'm at the Canton Blue Hills, right? Yes, and there's I-95 or 128 there. Well, when I turned around the bike to pick up this gift card, the side of the road that looked like a gift card, you know, that something, uh, was a woman's wallet. And, geez, bad, bad thoughts came about me, right? And uh, I threw it in the bike basket, forgot about it for two days, that I'm uh, about to go in on Saturday morning, and I see it's a woman from California, Joanne. All her credit cards, all her IDs, health, everything, and there's cash and everything. But there's one loan check. The loan check was a wharf adjacent to where I'm working out on the waterfront, made out to this woman, Joanne, from California. I go in that morning, check in. And at the security desk, I left the wallet. I said to uh, the person that was working security that that morning, I said, can you find out who this woman is of this check? And I left him. I said, I come across this wallet. I said, I was on a bike ride on Thursday. He was too lazy to do it. What? At two in the afternoon. Yeah. At two in the afternoon, I bump into the woman that's hired me. And she, uh, uh, guess what? That's her business associate's sister 
So you, that, so you gave the money back they, to her? Yeah, no. So it's the sister associate's sister. Right, and you gave the money back part. to her. Uh, yeah, I gave her money back, but... Lo and behold, out of the demographics of being Boston, this woman was in for Labor Day weekend, of all things, 5 million people. The woman I'm working for, her business associate, John, is the sister that's hosting this woman. That They went down the Cape for there the weekend. There you go, Kevin. It's fate. It's fate. Fate that it happened. But you way. know what? That, that opened up a, a job for me that now... And John Hancock, that built this uh, building on the waterfront, eight floors, a job happened to open up. And I believe, Frank, it's fate. It paved my way. There you go. I love hearing that, Kevin. You do the right thing and things work out for you in the end anyway. That's the best of all worlds as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-WABC. I have dropped or misplaced my mobile phone at least twice in my life. It's happened multiple times. But two times it was returned to me. One time was about five years ago. Another time was maybe about ten years ago. And the person in both cases that found this cell phone, I could have kissed them because they returned it to me. They didn't have to. They could have just left it there or whatever else. But they, they went out of their way to find me and return it to me. And it was... It was it was great. That's why if I ever found someone's property that was lost, I don't care whether it's fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the case is, I would always return it because I know how it felt for me when I lost my mobile phone and it got returned to me. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Karen is in Rockland. Hello, Karen. Hi. How are you? Great. Uh, talking about cell phones, a friend of mine years ago, we were in Florida, and he. Uh, he dropped his cell phone. Believe it, he, he didn't realize that he had dropped it. But a couple of hours later, some couple that was in a parking lot in a different area of town, they called up and said that they found his cell phone in the water. And they actually, you know, you know looked for him and they drove it back uh, to where we were. So he was, you know, I don't think it worked too good after that, but <laughs> that they actually, you know, looked for him. As far as uh, the money, um you know, even when I get raffle tickets, I always give half of it back to the organization, and I'll keep the other half. And I uh, deposited a thousand dollars in a checking account, oh, you know, years ago. And when I went back to the uh, my car, I looked at the deposit slip, and it said a million dollars. Well, they would have they, they, they would have tracked they would have figured that one out, Karen. No matter I, what. I, you well, did. I think they made. I so saw. I went back in and I said, I think you goofed. <laughs> Didn't say thank you or anything, but. Uh, you know, so they ran it through again, and I went back out to the car, and it said a million dollars the second time. <laughs> so she goofed twice. So you were a millionaire for a few minutes there, Karen. Yes, I was. <laughs> well, so damn good. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Thanks, Karen. 800-848-WABC. Mike in Hoboken. What would you do, Mike? Hey. Yeah, Frank. Congratulations on your brother, your son. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I found a... Uh, $200 in an envelope outside my office on the sidewalk. And it said, Merry Christmas, John. And it had a company name on it. So I called the company and returned it to the company and gave it back to John. So I remember a story one time I left a wallet on the on the back of my SUV. It was a Pathfinder. And it had the wallet. And somebody 
called me and said, I found your wallet. Because it, it fell off the, off the car. You, see, you have to remember those things, you know? You're, Absolutely. People belong. I, I am to, amazed at how frequent this seems to ha- happen. So let's say you were in a car on the highway when this cash is pouring out of the armored truck. What do you do? Do you drive by? Do you help pick up the some cash and give it to the driver? What do you do? I guess I just <laughs> drive by. Drive I guess. by. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, that's more than a lot of these it's not people. not my money. It's not my money. It's, it's, right. If I would stop. Yeah, I lost you there, Mike. We, we, something weird is with the phones tonight. 800-848-WABC. Drew in White Plains. Hello, Drew. I think the, the, that's a good question, Frank. But I think if I saw a fall from, like, a business or an armor truck, to be honest with you, I might keep it. If I see it fall from a person, there's no way that I'm going to keep any type of money that I watch fall out of a person's pocket. So I'm going to do, you know, anything possible to get it sure. back. Sure. Like, I mean, look. I, like you I, said, I, I know that feel. Yeah, it's, a, it's very different taking money from a person who you know and can identify and see as a person versus taking it from an anonymous big company like Brinks. But, um, and a lot of these people who were in this California situation, they they pulled over, went out of their way to shovel as much cash as possible into their pockets. 800-848-9222. Mikey in Brooklyn. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. hello. Hey, Frank, how are you? Great. Thank you. And by the way, uh, I don't know if I ever congratulated you with your blessed event, but here I am. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And it's always a pleasure to listen to you. But I want to apologize. I hope Curtis is still listening also. Um, I got on the phone with him earlier, This, this, and I don't know. I guess. Right, well, so, Mikey, you, you call him next time. Call him. We don't need oh, to. No, 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 no. Can I just. No, no. Let's move on. Let's move on to non-Curtis-related commentary. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, what I wanted to say is um, if it's not legal, don't take it. You know? Well, very profound, Mikey. I appreciate that uh, very, very much. Yes, if it's not legal, don't take it. Right? There, there you go. Simple, but. It has the added virtue of being true. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I do not have a lot of Christmas gifts to buy this year. But there are a lot of folks in our audience that do. And there are a lot of people in our audience like me who are last-minute shoppers. I am a professional procrastinator. I make the rest of the procrastinators look like amateur procrastinators. And I'm curious if you have any good ideas for Christmas gifts. Because we're now in the home stretch. I really in the next day or two you're going to have to come up with something here. So, whatever you have suggestions for, if you have suggestions for a husband or a wife or a boss or a coworker or a lot there's a lot of secret santas we have one here i think on the 23rd and i think i picked something i think i i got something for that but a see i got a great secret santa gift i'll tell you what i got for my family secret santa gift but whatever great ideas you have for christmas gifts i'd love to hear 800-848-9222 could be a gift for a kid could be a gift for an adult give me a call and tell me what gift suggestions you have for people. We're going to do a collective public service for people and help them 
work on some creative gift ideas. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Oh, it's cold outside. The wind's whipping through Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, Frankie's hometown. Yeah, Miss D, old man. Dave, you know what time it is? It's Christmas time. Yeah, Santa gonna be good to you? I hope so. Get I your new so. microphone. I hope so. What? Okay, I need one. Let's swing this. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Making a list. Checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. That is my, my friend Joe Piscopo please, with please Dave Damiani singing Santa Claus is coming to town. A terrific rendition of this song. I remember when these two recorded it, and um, you could tell they knew they were onto something special. It's a great song. I'm a, a big fan of this version of this song. All right. We are now in the waning days before Christmas. I have very few gifts to purchase. I think um, we still have to get something for my dad, even though I usually renew his newspaper subscription. But uh, I, one of the callers suggested getting... Um, a mug or something with his grandson's picture on it. I think we might go that route. Now, we I have to get something for my wife, and we're not big into lavish gifts, my wife and me. I, I saw, you know, I, I see the gift that she got me because I think one's a stocking stuffer and one's something more substantial because she has me open all the packages that come to the house. So I said, oh, what's this? What's this thing? And she said, oh, that's for Christmas. You're not supposed to see that. Then yesterday she has me doing the laundry, and uh, I see that she's got something that I've talked about as a good addition to our basement in the closet there. So, uh, you know, uh, that's around kind of the range that I thought I was going to be spending on on her. So I've got to get something for her. I feel like um, I should get something for... My friend Arthur Idala, because Arthur is just so good to me and just so generous with me all the all the time. I feel like I should do something for him. And then what's really challenging is what to get our owner, John Katsimatidis and his wife, Margot, because they're billionaires. Right. I mean, I really want to get them something because every opportunity that I have in life right now. Everything that I do professionally and in some cases personally, I owe to them. And they're just great people besides. But what do you really get? What do you get a billionaire for Christmas? I I don't know. So I'd like to get them something. And then um, initially I was thinking – and I have to get my goddaughter Penelope, who's a first grader. I've got to get her something. And then I thought I might get uh, Joe Borelli's kids uh, something as well. I usually get them something. Other than that, I'm I'm off the hook. Uh, So I'm – Looking to get all this done in the next day or two. And I am curious what suggestions you have for Christmas gifts, not only for the people on my list, 
But maybe somebody on your list or a great gift that you've gotten over the years that you think people can benefit from. A great gift for a father, a son, a grandfather, an uncle, a wife, a mother, an aunt, a sister, a cousin, a boss, a colleague. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'll tell you what I always find to be... Um, a, a good gift. I'm going to give two two gift suggestions here, and they're always they're kind of two sides of the same coin. One is a book, and I realize that may sound kind of lame uh, to people, but you get someone a good book on a subject that they're interested in, and that is something that the chances are they're going to use and get a lot out of, and chances are they're going to really benefit from. You know what I also think is a great gift suggestion? A subscription to a magazine that the person reads or a newspaper the person reads. These days, maybe a subscription website that the person might enjoy. You know, uh, for instance, I'm really into um, mafia news. So I would love it if somebody gave me a uh, a gift subscription to Jerry Capisi's Gangland News. Uh, maybe someone's into financial stuff. Maybe they'd like to get a, a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, my mom has gotten me newspaper subscriptions. It's wonderful. I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother got me a monthly subscription to two wrestling magazines. Loved it. I can't even tell you what that gift meant to me. And that it was the gift literally that kept on giving because every month a new edition of this wrestling magazine or these two wrestling magazines would come in the mail for me. It was great. So um, I also like as a gift suggestion a radio. And I know that might sound lame to some people. I love giving people radios. A lot of people surprisingly don't have them. It makes, especially if it's kind of a cool looking radio, but radios are essential to people. You want to know how essential? Ask someone who's lost power and doesn't have internet and needs to know what the weather's going to be like when the snowstorm is going to end or if school is taking place that day. A radio is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Tell me what gift suggestions you might have. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ethel is in Closter, New Jersey. Hello, right. Ethel. Okay, hi. hi. Uh, what, I'll tell you, I like your idea of a radio, Thank but you. I'm going to give you something else. Because when I was a kid, I'm, I'm the 90-year-old that calls a couple yes, times. Yes, yes, I know, Ethel. Your stuff. reputation precedes <laughs> you, yes. Right. Anyway, because I used to listen to the Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet and all sorts of stuff when I come home from uh, school, you know, on the radio. But I would give a gift card um, like to TJ Maxx, which you can use at Marshalls and Home Goods and a couple other stores, because this way a person can get what they want rather than rather than getting something that something that that they don't like or don't need. Well, you know, that is that is uh, a big big item now. People love to do that for exactly the reason you decided. My my mom is a big giver of gift cards. And thank you for the call, Ethel. I'll tell you why I don't like gift cards. Um one I lose almost every gift card that's given to me. That's number 1. Number 2, unless it's an American Express gift card, or uh, like a general credit card gift card, if it's a gift card to a specific store or a specific restaurant, even if it's a store or a restaurant that I go to, 
I am now obliged to go to that store. And the same thing happens every time I get a gift card. Okay, let's say I get a gift card for $100. I go to a restaurant that's a restaurant that I like. I spend $85 charging on the gift card. Okay, now this gift card has a $15 balance on it, and I'm carrying it in my wallet, and it's taking up space for weeks that that I would otherwise not have it in there. And that means I have to go to the restaurant again, and now I'm going to spend another $85 or so, and now I'm in my pocket for $70. I don't love gift cards. I find uh, – look, they're convenient. I find them impersonal. I don't I don't like gift cards as idea as as a as a gift. Now, my wife, she disagrees. She likes gift cards. The people that sent us gift cards for the birth of uh, little Carmine to uh, Pottery Barn or Baby List or whatever, wherever you buy baby gifts from. She she found it very useful. That was seventy five dollars less. She had to borrow from her son, Carmine. But I don't like gift cards. So I, um, I, you know, so if you have a good suggestion for a Christmas gift for someone, give me a call. 800-848-9222. Doesn't matter who it is. 800-848-WABC. I'm looking through different online suggestions now, and I've done a lot of these. You know, for instance, um, a museum membership is nice. Now, that's tricky nowadays because with COVID and all these COVID restrictions coming back, you don't know if things are going to shut down again. Um you have, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, to me, a nice gift is some something that somebody would really like that they would not buy for themselves. Right. And, I, you know, you know it when you keep it. Some people may like a cooking class, for instance. Other people may like a lesson in something like uh, chess or tennis or dance even. 800-848-WABC, that's uh, 800-848-9222, whatever your suggestions. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines if you want to jump on board. And uh, next, coming up a little later, we're going to talk with Kenny Zhu. Kenny Zhu, is, uh, Kenny Zhu is a fascinating guy. He is the president of a group called uh, a group called United, let me get the group name here, Color Us United. And he wrote a very interesting op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about how the Salvation Army, of all all places, has now gotten a little too woke. Now, I've been a big supporter of the Salvation Army. That's one of the charities that I give to just about every year. I've also raised a lot of money for the Salvation Army. And uh, I think that um, I may have to rethink my strategy of raising all this money to for the, for the Salvation uh, Army, if uh, well, we'll see. Tune in at three thirty for this. Pam is in Brooklyn. Pam, give me an idea for a good Christmas gift. Yes, you know my idea was for Mister and Missus Katz uh, to give a donation to a nice charity for a nice, um, you know, for um, a cause that you know that they would like in their name. Okay, well, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm sure that's one they'd appreciate. There are a lot of charities that are that are near and dear to uh, to them. What about someone that's not a billionaire? Any suggestions for for a rank and file person? No, not really. I was just thinking about them when you mentioned it because they're two people who are very hard to buy a gift for because you mentioned that, and I thought that donating something yeah, no, that's good in their name would be yeah. That's not bad, why. Pam. I like it. 800-848-9222. Sherry's in Brooklyn. Hello, Sherry. Good morning, Frank. How are you? 
Good. How's the baby doing? Good. Only got about 30 seconds here, Sherry. What would you want to say? Okay. I would say a gift certificate to, like, uh, Elizabeth Auden or Georgia Cleaning Spa. Like, a couple's thing for, like, massage, facial, or whatever. Something they wouldn't really go for them on their own. All right. Not, not bad. Thank you, Sherry. Coming up next hour, we'll do something fun. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. W-A-B-C. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am... Frank Moreno. So, on Friday morning, right before I come on, Dominic Carter comes on. And he spent a lot of time, just about all of Friday, talking about this situation involving these teenagers that beat up a 67-year-old man on the bus. And I was very interested in one caller to his show to um, who said that... Um, well, if you're a minor, 14 or so, whatever, I don't remember what the details of the proposal were. If, if you're a minor and you commit a crime, then the parents of that minor should be held legally responsible. And I thought, I thought that was such an interesting question to explore. And I have to tell you, I have been thinking about it nonstop since Friday. It's because this is something that have been that's been talked about for many years. After twelve year old Rebecca Sedwick of Florida jumped to her death from a tower in an abandoned concrete plant in late twenty thirteen, the term cyberbullying was on the nation's tongue for months. Two classmates were charged with tormenting the girl so viciously on social media and in person that she committed suicide. The charges of aggravated stalking were later dropped, and much of the blame landed not on Sedwick's two classmates, but on their parents. And why not? Mark O'Mara, who was probably best known for representing George Zimmerman, who killed Trayvon Martin, drafted legislation in the wake of Sedwick's death to hold parents criminally liable for the children's cyberbully. Parents who let their children use social media as a weapon need to wake the hell up. That's a quote from the criminal defense attorney. So O'Mara's proposal, which has not passed, would be would not be the first law of its kind. There are a lot of states that hold parents liable for their children in civil courts and criminalize the act of contributing to the delinquency of a minor with which parents can be charged. Criminal charges for bad parenting are less common. The city of Davenport, Iowa, they've experimented with holding parents responsible for crimes like breaking curfew and possessing marijuana. But the Iowa Supreme Court struck down parts of that ordinance uh, years ago. One Pennsylvania woman reportedly died in jail this summer after she'd been imprisoned for not paying fines for the truancy of her kids. The violent acts of children are a different ballgame. 
But because of high-profile suicides and school shootings and decades of research on the relationship between bad parenting and youth delinquency, a lot of experts are now supporting stricter punishment of perps' parents. What say you? If a child, let's say under the age of 17, if a child commits a crime, should their parents be held liable? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That's the question. A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. My answer is no. Um, and I recognize that's going to be controversial. And I recognize that bad parenting can often be responsible for bad behavior in children. Bottom line, though, is sometimes it's not right. Uh, when I was in the seventh grade, I was suspended for biting another child. Now, I wasn't arrested, but I was certainly suspended. Now, my parents never taught me to bite anyone. They taught me to be respectful of everyone, not try to hurt anyone, not do anything untoward like that. So why would I, why would, why should they be penalized because I chose to disobey the rules of the school? 800-848-WABC. Now, it's different, obviously, if you're going to do something like uh, purchase a gun and leave the gun unlocked in a place where your uh, mentally unstable 14-year-old knows exactly where to find it in the house, then that's a different ballgame. But I'm talking about if you're a 13-year-old kid that goes out and robs somebody, should the parent be responsible? If you're a 14-year-old that beats somebody up as part of a robbery, should the parents be held responsible? I say no. I have seen too many incidents of parents who do everything right, ending up with children who are totally juvenile delinquents. And at what point do you stop? If you're going to penalize the parents, do you penalize the grandparents? Do you penalize, how far back do you go? Because there's always a reason behind the way we are. And what if the negative influence in someone's life isn't a parent but uh, an older brother? Do you penalize the older brother? I don't think so. So you see what a slippery slope this becomes? 800-848-9222. And I was surprised at the callers to Dominic on Friday how few of them disagreed with the caller who said parents should be held responsible. 800-848-9222. I had a friend who was murdered by a 16-year-old. Now, in the eyes of the law in the state of New York at the time, if you commit a murder at 16 years old, that's considered a uh, that's considered an adult act. But um I would never think to blame his parents for this. I'm sure this was not an ideal household that he came from. That being said, parents were not the one that chose to stab him. The 16-year-old was. 800-848-9222, what say you? Ross is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Ross. Good evening, Frank. Um, Well, good morning. Uh, No, I agree with you. No one is responsible for anyone else's behavior. 
That's what I believe. And a parent could be the best parent in the world. The kid could get out on the streets and, you sure. know, like they say, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And the child could do something that, totally contrary to, to, you know, on a whim sometimes and not thinking of consequences. And how should a parent or a good parent even, you know, be responsible for that? There's that also a lot of instances, just, Ross, where parents yeah. are neglectful or even abusive. No doubt. And the kid starts and the kid is fine. The kid doesn't uh, engage in any sort of antisocial behavior. Yeah, but this still goes back to my point. You just can't right. be responsible for another right. person's decisions yeah. and behavior. How so, can you do that? I, I don't think you can. I think that's why we're on the same page. Now, um, well, again, there are exceptions, right? If, you, if you're if you allowing your four-year-old to play with super sharp knives unsupervised around other four-year-olds, okay, that's a different that's right. a different situation. That's, but I'm that's, talking that's about... negligence. Right, right. I'm talking about a 12-year-old that goes out, Beats somebody up, robs them, maybe even commits a crime with a gun. Should the parents be held responsible? My view is I don't think so. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. You're welcome to disagree, and I'm not going to shout you down or anything. That's not my style. You'll have your say. Chris is in Brooklyn. Hello, Chris. Hey, how are you, Frank? Great. I'm well, Chris. Thanks for asking. And I'm doing well, too. The weather's getting colder out here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what you what 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 we're talking about in in a, in a way is, I believe, the breakdown of the uh, moral uh, infrastructure of our communities. Now, I'm not a Bible toter in any way, but the uh, religious foundations and the centralized uh, church and temples of our communities of old have been stripped away. So we're left with regulating good parental behavior, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And one of the one of the examples is that young man that brought, I, I think he shot up the school, and uh, his parents had texted him uh, a few days earlier when the teacher discovered he was shopping for ammo online. And one of the parents said, well, you just have to hide Hide what you're doing better. Right. Well, I at, mean, at that parent, point, at that point, the parent is a conspirator to a crime. They're correct. they're they're aiding yes. and abetting in a crime at that point. Yes. Yes. But uh, you had made a statement that uh, you you know parents as I know parents. I know my fellow uh, fellow uh, parents in my community that uh, they do everything apparently right, but there's some disconnect that allows the uh, the child to advance into some really radical bad behavior. And some of that is maybe unmonitored, uh, uh, you know, electronic devices that they're using for social interaction. A lot of these kids do not understand that uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Tumblr, uh, all these, these are communication devices. They're not entertainment devices that you can disengage somebody by blocking them. There's many different levels of disengaging a person on these platforms, which you don't necessarily disengage them. And there's other ways that they can influence you. These are communication devices that are extraordinarily intrusive, more than just a typical cell phone. So, so tell me, tell, tell me where you think that should end up policy wise, Chris. So if I allow my child unfettered access to the Internet 
and then that child uh, commits a crime on the Internet, it, it sounds like you think maybe the parent should be held responsible. To a, it, it's a real slippery slope, and it, it really falls on uh, a much heavier investigative capabilities of the uh, law enforcement. And now we're going into law enforcement. And uh, I do believe that because we've uh, we've are are our society as it is at large right now has really worked very hard to disengage uh, these traditional fundamental moral uh, anchors that we've used in the past. And one of the funny phrases is it takes a community to raise a child that the Democrats uh, in the past have used, but they seem to have worked overtime to literally tear down the community infrastructure. Right, right. Thank you, Chris. I want to get, I want to delve into some policy implications here. Should they, uh, 10 years ago, for instance, Philadelphia was in the national spotlight because of juvenile crime and the mayor's response to it. You remember what was going on 10 years ago? We're seeing echoes of this all over the country now. Uh, Specifically, groups of teenagers were participating in flash mobs organized through social media and text messages. And what would happen, these mobs of teenagers, someone's sometimes meeting without a goal in mind, end up being involved in all sorts of illegal activities, assaulting people at random, stealing from stores in Philly's tourist and shopping districts. Now, the mayor, Michael Nutter, spoke out sharply against these youth and their behaviors. He also took aim at the teenagers' parents saying that being a human ATM or sperm donor will not suffice for being a parent and that parents need to get a hold of their kids before we have to, meaning law enforcement in the city. Nutter emphasized he believes problems like these flash mobs are stemming from the homes and parents need to take more responsibility for their children. Now, Nutter had the law on his side. Philadelphia, like many other cities, can impose penalties on the parents when their children are out past curfew. In Philly, the parents receive a warning for the first violation, up to $150 fine for the second violation, and then $300 to $500 for all subsequent violations. After two or more violations, each repeat offense can result in up to $300 fine and up to 90 days in jail for the parents. My question is... We're seeing a lot of youth crime. Should this holding the parents responsible criminally be expanded to other things? 800-848-WABC. The callers to Dominic's show on Friday seemed to think the answer was yes. I don't think so. I agree with what Michael Nutter and what... uh, The caller Chris was saying there and others, which is that, sure, the parents and the foundation they're providing do play a role in a young adult's behavior, but it's difficult to determine how much of a role. 800-848-9222. Mary Beth is in Huntington. Hello, Mary Beth. Hi. How are you today? Great. Um well, the first time I really ever thought about this was after the Columbine incident. Sure. And I, I only remember one of the um, shooters' names, and that's unfortunate um, even remember the guy's name. But um, I do recall that the parent of that particular shooter 
Um, it was proven for a fact the kid was making bombs in the garage of his parents' home, the home where he lived. I mean, they had no idea that was going on. It was also proven that there were guns, if not more than one, in the kid's room. Now, maybe out in Colorado, yeah, you're allowed to have a gun in your home, but if my kid had a gun in his room, I would know it, and there would be a stop to that. Um, in many instances, though, sometimes the parent of a 14-year-old who's committing a crime had that child when she was 14, and you know the child's father might have been 15. So um, I think it's an individual case. But the parents on many levels are responsible and need to be investigated as much as the criminal does. Well, so when you say uh, they, they need to be investigated as much as the criminal does, let's say a 14-year-old, let's say they catch these kids that were involved in this uh, video of beating up the 67-year-old on the bus last week. Let's say they arrest a 14-year-old, right? And uh, the 14-year-old says, well, you know, things get carried away. Uh, I, You know, I, I don't understand why I did it. I just did it. I wanted to give that guy a hard time. What then should happen investigation-wise with respect to the parents? Well, what kind of um, lessons are they giving that child at home? Do they ever sit down and talk to the kid when you're out with the group of friends? You know, what do your friends do? Do they know the friends of their children? I mean, it's a made, it's a big issue being a parent. It's a huge issue being a parent. You have to not only speak to your children about what's right and wrong, you not only have to get to know their friends, but their friends' parents. It doesn't stop, Frank. No, get ready. I, 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 I agree with you, Mary Beth. I'm just not sure if holding the parents criminally responsible is the way to go there. Ralph is in Manhattan. Hello, Ralph. Uh, no, this is not from New Jersey. Uh, it has to be taken into or looked into on, uh, an individual case. And the shooting incident that happened in in Michigan, if memory serves, the parent definitely is responsible. Uh, uh, responsible. Right. Well, the, again, the Michigan Michigan situation, it's more uh, like they were co-conspirators. Okay. What, what about the one uh, with Sandy Hook, when the mother was murdered? outright murdered by the uh, young lad. Yeah, again, Ralph, these are all examples. These are all examples of weapons in the household. I'm talking about, let's say, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old goes out and commits an assault, gets out and commits a robbery, and the parents had nothing to do with putting that weapon in uh, the household. uh, It has to... The foundation of a child begins at home. I should very well know, if you are raising children, you got to always allow them, uh, make them learn right from wrong, okay? And it, it all comes down to what, what kind of foundation does this child got at home? Yeah, well, I, I agree with you that it often does, so, but far too often you have good parents that end up with crazy kids. A lot of times you have crazy parents that end up with perfectly reasonable kids. I don't think it makes sense to have a criminal penalty for parents who are parents of minors that commit crimes, personally. 800-848-WABC. Pamela in central New Jersey, what do you think? Hi, Frank, and congratulations on your baby. Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, I, unless your parents are Ma Barker and raise you to be a gangster, I don't think so, because parents <laughs> uh, are so sure they know everything about their kids, but they're individuals, and sometimes you just don't know. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I think to institute criminal penalties for that, it doesn't make sense to me. Let's see if Billy in East Village has any additional wisdom. Hello, Billy. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, okay. Um, why it, oh, you're not Curtis. I can say how you doing. Um, I, I think uh, all the kids that, well, the really extreme cases like psychotic, you know, murders and school shootings, all those kids are on psychotic, psychotropic drugs, medication prescribed by psychiatrists. I, and if you read the package, it even says the side effects of the medications are suicidal and homicidal. Obviously, the psychiatrists know what they're giving their kids, and they should be responsible. Absolutely. Well, I think, um, look, doctors shouldn't be over-prescribing psychotropic drugs to begin with, and I'm a big advocate of not giving your child those drugs, if at all possible. But I think what, what then would happen if the doctors – first of all, I think the doctors, if they prescribe irresponsibly – are at the very least civilly liable. I don't know of criminally, I don't know of any criminal cases that have been brought against doctors for writing prescriptions to children. I I don't know of those instances. But my fear is what would happen if we instituted, what was it, Billy, Billy's Law, is that you'd then have doctors so afraid, sort of like what happened with... um, doctors being afraid of being sued, they would prescribe tests for everything. Obviously, there was an element of wanting to overbuild the insurance company or Medicare, but a lot of it was doctors didn't want to end up being the recipient of a malpractice suit. So if all of a sudden doctors are criminally liable because somebody they give Ritalin to, let's say, shoots up a school, then you know what's going to happen. Doctors are going to stop prescribing Ritalin, and a lot of kids that really need those drugs aren't going to get them. That's what's going to happen because there's no happy medium in life. As I've learned with the legal system and the public health system, it just goes from one extreme to the other. I don't know that we're going to solve it tonight, but or this morning, it's interesting to look at. 800-848-9222. Still to come, we'll talk about the problems that the Salvation Army is undergoing. In the meantime, though, I want to talk to you a little bit about gold, 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 gold. All that jiggles is not jello. All that glitters is not gold. But gold does glitter. And gold, there is one universal truth. As out of control as inflation gets, you will always be able to use gold to buy things. Gold is a commodity that is, unlike the dollar, going to retain its value. Look at the value of the dollar. Look at where it's headed. Look at where we're going and then look at the value of gold. And you know what they say, the old expression, if you can't beat them, join them. And that means you can benefit financially from all the inflation that we're experiencing now. If you consider taking your existing retirement account and rolling it into a gold or a silver IRA. If you do that, you should consider doing it with legacy precious metals. These guys are experts when it comes to gold and silver. Gold should certainly be a part of every wise investor's portfolio. If you look at what happens with gold while inflation goes up, 
you see that that's the case. Legacy is the company that you can trust. Give them a call. Write this number down. 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill. Oh, love Nat King Cole. Oh, holy night. See, this is when it makes sense to play Christmas music. We can enjoy Christmas music. We can relax. We can look, get in the spirit of the season. The time to play Christmas music is not October 1st, okay? It's not July, okay? Well, unless you're doing a Christmas in July thing. This is like the month of December. I'm all for wall-to-wall Christmas music. The other 11 months, okay. No. All right, 800-848-922. We'll continue with your calls in just a minute, 800-848-9222. Todd Shapiro is a friend of mine. He is a public relations specialist, and I've known him for many years, probably close to 15 years now. And uh, he is one of the better public relations people we have. And he is a good friend. And he is a great guy, and he and his wife Liz are friends of mine, and uh, I love love Todd, really, always have. And he's also he also happens to do public relations for our radio station WABC. And so Todd said to me after the birth of my son Carmine, Todd said, you know, Todd's a cigar smoker like I am, and he uh, he he and I used to enjoy going to the Havana Room together. Havana Room was a great, great spot, and it's closed now, probably won't ever reopen. And you'd go up to the Havana Room up until COVID, really, and or even a little later than COVID, and it was so cool. I mean, it was a private club, so you had to know one of the members to get in. And uh, some of the members had lockers. Uh, other, you could bring your own cigars. They'd also sell cigars there. And it's just a rooftop lounge where you would smoke cigars. And there's a bar, and you do your thing there, and it's cool. And you never knew who you'd see there. Every time that I went there, there were I'd see all sorts of interesting people, but there were two people I would always see, Al Sharpton and Rudy Giuliani. And they'd usually hang out in opposite corners of the room. Not always, but usually. And uh, it was it was always so much fun. So Todd and I used to go to the Havana room once in a while. I would go as his guest. In fact, Ash Wednesday of 2020, right before the whole world shut down, Todd said to me, you know, all these guys you work with, Joe Piscopo and uh, uh, Curtis Lee and others, they're always getting so much credit and they're always being recognized. Nobody ever does anything for you. Why don't you let me 
host a cigar outing for you at the Havana Room. So we, he did that, and it was great. A lot of people came. Then Todd says the same thing after my son Caroline is born. He says, well, you know, Havana Room is closed now. Why don't we do something at the Carnegie Club? I'll invite a few people. You invite whoever you want. And I'll go and get some cigars. We'll get some food and get some drinks at the Carnegie Club. Invite whoever you want. You pick the day. And so I say, I'm looking at the calendar. I say, well, how about Friday, December 17th from 4 to 6? Great. Done. So we do that. And then on that day, my wife tells me, you know, I could tell she was a little frustrated that I was leaving. She said, uh, you could have asked me about, you, you know, about this date being available before you made these arrangements. I said, I thought I did. She said, no, nope, I'm pretty sure you did. So that was my error. But so there's all of a sudden there's a lot of pressure to come home early. Right. And there, I had gotten invited to another holiday party that night from my friend Ken Quinn. And my initial plan was to stop by that party after, you know, this little two hour gathering. Needless to say, that didn't happen. So we go to this uh, Carnegie Club situation, great place, and my wife stayed home, and uh, a lot of friends came. came. My brother-in-law, Josh, came. Corey Windelspeck, who you heard on the radio last week, came. Uh, Andrew McKenna came. A lot of other folks came. And towards the end, it was initially supposed to only go through four, four to six, towards the end, who comes in around 6.15 or so, John Katsimatidis, the owner of our radio station, who was awesome, and uh, my friend Curtis Slewa, who I did not invite. I guess Todd invited him or John invited him, and I didn't invite Curtis because I didn't, I didn't want him to come. I didn't invite Curtis because I know Curtis, the last time we were at this Havana Room gathering, had a real tough time with the cigar smell. And he doesn't smoke cigars. John smokes cigars. And I had invited Rudy Giuliani. And I got to tell you, I didn't think Rudy would come. I thought maybe Andrew would come, but I didn't think Rudy would come because, you know, we've hung out a few times, but we've never hung out at length with when it's just Rudy and, and me for a couple hours and smoking a cigar. So needless to say, Rudy came, John came, Curtis came. Curtis left, you know, pretty quickly. John stayed for a little while. He seemed to have a really good time. He brought it up again uh, Sunday morning with me on the Cats uh, uh, roundtable. And Rudy Giuliani stayed the whole night, the whole night. I got to tell you, he was so much fun to hang out with, so much fun. And he had such great stories, the kind of stories that uh, even he would never tell on the radio. Stories from when he was mayor, stories of running for president, interactions with journalists, interactions with his ex-wife. I was getting, you know, uh, uh, advice from him on parenting, learning from some of the mistakes that he's made. We were talking about radio, politics. It was one of the most fun afternoons or evenings I've ever had. And I think we ended up leaving... Not really sure, but maybe eight or nine o'clock. And, um, we were only supposed to be there for two hours. So you can imagine, I'm sure Rachel was, was thrilled, but Rudy Giuliani was, was so cool. And then my friend Lauren came also. She and Todd's wife Liz were the only girls. And then, um, <laughs> Rudy tweets a photo, a selfie of he and Lauren that night, just the two of them. And he says, Oh, this is my talented friend Lauren. And uh, you can imagine Twitter had some fun with that photo uh, because uh, – and John brought that up with me on the radio Sunday morning as well. Uh, but uh, it's all in good fun. Nothing untoward happened or anything like that. But it was uh, a really, really fun night. Curtis, 
Bean Curtis, ends up talking about this when he interviews Rudy Giuliani on Saturday. So what happened was Rudy came and Curtis came and the three of us, we obviously we're all pretty experienced in New York politics. We end up spending a lot of time talking about the ins and outs of next year's governor's race. And I don't want to get into too much detail of what we talked about because it's not all stuff I'm ready to reveal at this point. But we get really inside baseball. I end up talking about all sorts of stuff. So it leads to all sorts of other ideas among the three of us. And so I guess one of those ideas was Curtis said to Rudy, hey, I'm come, I'm going to be on the radio Saturday. Why don't you come on? So Curtis, who was on WABC this weekend for 22 hours, 22 hours, he invited Mayor Giuliani on with him on Saturday. And, uh, of course, what is the – after Curtis reprimands Rudy for saying, how are you? By the way, I get that Curtis doesn't like the callers to say, how are you? But really, the solution to that – and I, Curtis may still be meandering around here. I'm going to – if I get a minute to talk with him today off air, I'm going to tell him this. But I'm sure he's still listening. Curtis could just say to the screener, Tell the people not to say, how are you doing? You could just say that. But the amount of time that Curtis spends on air saying how I don't like to say how I'm doing, you know, it's such a giant waste of time that it makes the how are you doing, which if you say fine or good or great, that takes three seconds. It's such a waste of time that it, it, it pales in comparison to what it would otherwise take. So anyway. After Curtis represent, uh, rep- reprimands Mayor Giuliani for the how are you doing comment, he mentions this particular cigar outing. You and I, we had quite a number of sit downs yesterday, both here at uh, WABC. We did, we did. And then when uh, you and John Katsimatidis and Frank Morano were smoking cigars, I don't smoke cigars at the Carnegie Club, right. uh, celebrating the birth of his son. Wasn't that nice? Oh, it was uh, amazing, amazing. And I, I, I was that Cohiba, Cohiba you were smoking? Yeah, illegal? yeah, two of them that were good, yeah. It was good. Can <laughs> I hit you with federal no, one, charges on that? No, no, one, one Cohiba and one Padron. Padron? Padron is Nicaraguan. Wow, I didn't know that. You mean, uh, that's uh, Bill de Blasio's favorite person, Daniel Ortega, the dictator down there and pedophile. Oh, yeah, I... God, it makes you wonder about the cigar. Well, the cigars are good. Com- the company are Cuban refugees who hate Castro, so. Yeah, but no, you and John. Yeah, Castro hate us. You and John Katsimatidis and Frank Morano, you were like smoking puff, puff, fast. Not reefer, the cigars. But. <laughs> A little too old for that. Right. We got in, involved in some heavy conversations about the state of the GOP in New York. So then he goes on and on to discuss the state of the Republican Party in New York. And you can listen to the whole interview. And it was a really actually a very good interview that uh, Curtis did with Rudy Giuliani at uh, WABCRadio.com. That's WABCRadio.com. But I have to tell you, I had one of those cigars that um, that uh, he was referencing there. And I think I had a Monte Cristo, not a Cohiba. It was... Phenomenal. It was one of those things that I was thinking about the scent of it for the whole rest of the weekend. It it was one of those things that really just stays with you. So if you're a cigar smoker, I would definitely suggest you check out the Carnegie Club. It's not a private club in that anybody can go there. I've gone there many times. You could just go there to the bar and have a drink and then smoke a cigar. You don't have to have any special membership or anything like that. But 
Curtis is just so obsessed because, look, I understand Curtis had 22 hours of airtime to fill. So you figure in any given broadcasting week, a quarter of all the time that Curtis spends on air is devoted to bashing me. Sure enough, that was the case when Alan called on Saturday night going into Sunday morning. Or it might have been, no, it was Friday night going into Saturday morning. Curtis talking to Alan. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have that one, uh, but um, but we'll we'll work on that anyway. So, anyway, this caller Allen calls in to talk about the John F. Kennedy assassination, and uh, Curtis did a whole show all about the Kennedy assassination, and uh, you know he says basically, why don't you talk to Frank Morano? Frank Morano had on Roger Stone a couple of months ago talking all about the Kennedy assassination. And then uh, Roger Stone had this detailed theory about somebody who was an associate of Lyndon Johnson, who did this or did that. And Curtis just get, is so obsessed that he just keeps saying, oh, Frank Moreno, I had to throw away my clothes. My wife, Nancy, made me strip naked and throw away my clothes because they so reeked of cigar smoke. Now, again, with Curtis, it's difficult to know how much is shtick and how much is reality, how much is shtick and how much is reality. But um, the, the point is that Curtis once in a while needs to just let things go. And as I said to him when I was on his show prior to this one, you kind of know what you're getting into when you go to an event that's billed as a cigar outing. So that's it. You want to you want to be in these smoke filled rooms, Curtis. That's the penalty that you have to pay. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Uh, great show, like always. Um, get to the, what you were talking about before about um, our parents responsible for their children. I have two kids, you know. And my daughter's a freshman in uh, high school. And uh, I personally think parents are responsible um, because if you see a child fun dipping, whether it's in their grades, their mood, or the people they're hanging out with, um, I really think, and a parent doesn't address the situation right off the bat, they let it go, and they see them playing video games with a lot of violence, and you know that you have firearms around the house, which... I do, but my kids don't know I do. I keep it secretly. They don't know where they are. The bullets are separate. And on another uh, point, uh, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, there was a big thing. Old social media were talking about shoot it up right. Friday. And uh, we got an, yeah, a phone call. I was going to my daughter's winter concert. You can't call it Christmas. It's a winter concert. And we're in the call waiting to go in. And we hear the phone ring, and we answer it. And it's the school security department telling all the parents about this and just keeping them, you know, on guard. I turned to my wife and I said, to, I'm not sending my kids to school that day. And a lot of parents did because they were afraid they would Columbine and stuff like that. And um, every time I hear any sort of like sort of thing going on in the school, you know, I always fear that, you know, it could happen to my children. And I always say to my wife, even the Gabby Petitas thing that happened in, um, uh, that girl went missing, and then they found a boyfriend. Sure. I personally think that guy's parents that were harboring him are responsible for her death. This is these are things I look into maybe too deeply, but I think parents are responsible because they're the ones raising the children. Yeah, look, and, I, uh, I think. In, thank you, Joe. I think in the case that you mentioned of um, having a gun in the house, that's a different ballgame. But if uh, a child goes out and commits an act of violence, that's 
that's completely different. In the case of uh, Brian Laundrie, he was an adult. He was not a minor. He would not uh, apply to any of the proposals that we're we're talking about here. And eventually you have to kind of, I don't know, you have to take, you can't be responsible for everything your child does. You can't as much as we'd like to. 800-848-9222. In the case of the Gabby Petito incident, and I recognize it's easy to second guess the cops, but when the cops had that early interaction with them, I think had they made an arrest of Brian Laundry, and look, I'm not a cop, never been in law enforcement, I don't know, maybe there wasn't sufficient char- sufficient evidence to make an arrest. But had they made an arrest of Brian Laundry, I think both of them would probably still be alive today. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's impossible to know. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Billy is in Queens. Hello, Billy. Hey, Frank. This is a great show tonight. Usually this show sucks, but tonight is pretty good. Well, thank you. you, know, you know, did, you, did you ever smoke cigars? Because I heard that guy in cigars, that guy from Sex and the City, he's all the news now. You know, he's hit the rape over women. I was wondering if you ever hung out with him in the cigar bar. Oh, Chris Noth. Yeah, exactly. No, right. I, I guess he was busy uh, sexually assaulting women instead of smoking cigars on Friday when I was there. Uh, listen, you should talk more about yourself instead of flying saucers. I think your show would be better. You're, you're a pretty interesting guy. Well, uh, do you have any other constructive criticism, Billy? Yeah, I mean, t- today's show is good. Um, I, I think you're an interesting guy. It's a shame that you waste your talents with this nonsense every night when I usually wake up and turn on the radio. With flying sources and, and I don't know. I just so just your it. only your only feedback is to talk more about myself. You seem like you you met, you know kind of like Mark Simone like you know he's he's Mister New York and he's met a lot of people he's been around that, that I think I don't know. All right, so just talk more about myself. That's what your suggestion is. Oh, interesting stories. Not, I mean, not just 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 say yourself. Like okay. Well, Billy, as, as, a, as a narcissist, I can do that. But I would encourage you to look at the 10.2 share that I did in the month of October. Number one show in uh, radio in New York, AM or FM for the month of September and October. And then think maybe I have some idea that I know what I'm doing. Maybe. Maybe. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. When we come back, I did have the occasion over the weekend to watch a film. It is, um, you know, uh, something I rarely get to do these days, but I, I caught one. And I'll give you my review. It's an older film, but I'll, I'll give you my take on it next if you're interested in hearing about it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Silent night, holy night, all is 
wall Christmas music from now until, I believe, the end of the year. And you know what? That is just fine with me. Something very festive about it. All right. Meantime, so this weekend, I had the opportunity to watch a motion picture. It is available on Netflix. I don't remember what led me to put this film in my queue of films that I want to watch. But the film is called, it's about 11, 12 years old. The film is called The Men Who Stare at Goats. I don't remember hearing about this film at the time. But, and I don't know why, I don't know how or why it ended up on my list here. But the film did not get tremendously good reviews and um, I think it did do well at the box office but it wasn't considered a runaway smash hit I have to tell you I loved this film is it a perfect film no but I absolutely love the cast I love the way that the the film was edited and the the story was told I love the way it was shot it had almost kind of a Coen Brothers feel to it it uh, was not directed by the Coen brothers, but it was really creative. It had a great cast, George Clooney, Ewan McGregor, Jeff Bridges, and Kevin Spacey from before he was canceled. And it's based on a book. It's it's a pseudo – they say it's loosely based on a truth story, a true story. I think it's very loosely based on a true story. But in my view, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But it's all about – an investigation by a journalist into attempts by the U.S. military to employ psychic powers as a weapon. Um, it was really clever, I thought. I thought it was very funny at times. I thought it was really fast-paced. I thought it moved well. So if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix, if you're taking some time off for the holidays and you're afraid to interact with people because of this new Omicron variant that's busting out all over the place, then I think maybe you should check this out. The Men Who Stare at Goats, a great cast and a really well done film. And you know what? It's not too long. I think it's less than two hours. So a lot of times when I'm choosing which film on my Netflix queue to watch, I just pick whichever the shortest film is because that takes the least amount of time. It's different if I go to the movies. If I go to the movies and I'm purchasing a movie ticket, I try to find the longest film I can because I feel like I'm getting more of a bang for my buck. You know, if you see a three-hour film for $12, it's it's like you're paying less per minute than the 80-minute film. But it's really good. It's only an hour and a half. It's really well done. I enjoyed it. Let me know if you've seen it. I'd be curious about your perspective. You can email me, frank.moreno 
at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You can obviously email me on other issues as well. Coming up next hour, we got commendations, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening with the Salvation Army. I've been a big supporter of the Salvation Army, but looks like the Salvation Army might be getting a little too woke for my taste. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Bill in the Bronx. Hello, Bill. Hi. Uh, um, hi. Um, Frank, uh, <clears throat> growing up here in the Bronx, uh, and one of the things that we're, that we're kind of missing out on, uh, you know, we talk about the cigar smoking and and, whole, and, and the get-togethers. You know, we're missing like the bowling alleys that we had from years back. The competition that we had, we had the uh, we had the gun ranges that were available. Uh, the high schools had the uh, the competition with the twenty two caliber, uh, not not the uh, rifles, and uh, uh, it was, you know you had at Dewey Clinton High School. I think Cyrus, the number number of schools had them. But what I'm trying to say is that the social side of what we had when I had growing up, going back into the into the 50s and the 60s, and uh, into that time that that time frame is yeah. that Bill. It's that a great get great point, Bill. It's a great point, and there's a wonderful book. It's about 20 years old at this point, but it's more relevant today than ever. It's called Bowling Alone uh, by Robert Putnam: The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Wonderful book, but the front page of Sunday's New York Times chronicles exactly what you're talking about. It, uh, the headline, I don't have it in front of me, but the headline was something like, we've gone from play ball to play station, and how children were already trending away from participating in team sports and other competitive sports and moving more towards video games, and that trend just got a shot of steroids during the pandemic when there were no competitive sports. The pandemic and the lockdown, and this is why my most fervent hope for this lock, the uh, current next wave of COVID is that we don't bring back these pandemic restrictions of keeping everybody locked up at home. And I don't want to have a whole COVID discussion because then that becomes the whole show. But the damage that has been done uh, to young people especially from their isolation and their inability to interact with both adults and their peers, I think is something that we are going to see for years. As I said to John Katzmatidis Sunday on the Cats at Night show, Jamani Williams, the public advocate, is proposing right away, effective immediately, canceling in-person schooling and bringing back remote classes. I'm not an educator. I can't tell you what a mistake I think that would be. I think remote learning is a disaster, and I can't believe, and I like Jumani as a person, but I can't believe that a responsible public official and somebody that wants to be the governor would actually be publicly calling for that. I think that is precisely the opposite of the direction that we need to go in. And if the choice is a vaccine mandate and in-person classes or no vaccine mandate and remote learning, then give me that vaccine 500 times because the value of in-person schooling and other in-person societal interaction, in my judgment, is so, so important. 
800-848-9222. Dee Dee is in Westchester County. Hello, Dee Dee. Hi there. I just wanted to thank you for making another movie recommendation, which was Man in the Moon or On the Moon, and then followed by Jim and Andy. Especially, this was a, a very interesting movie to me. There was a lot of psychiatric issue to it. And you were just talking about the, the um, impact that parents have on the behavior of their children. And I just wondered what your opinion was in the, in the context of that movie. Well, it's a good question. I mean, it seems like, uh, first of all, thank you for remembering the, the recommendation. So had you not seen Man on the Moon before you saw Jim, uh, before, recently, before I talked about it? No. Oh, okay, I, good. I had never seen it. I was familiar with Jim Carrey. But, you know, I always admired him. But to see this gave some insight to no, me. I, I completely so agree. Man is. In watching that documentary, uh, thank you for the call, D.D. If people don't know what D.D. talking about, there was a film that came out like 98, 99 called Man on the Moon. It's all about the life of Andy Kaufman. It's a great film. It's played by – Andy Kaufman's played by Jim Carrey who was uh, a v- great admirer of Andy Kaufman. It would be like if I got to play William Shatner or Joe Franklin or something. But then, just last year, they made a documentary all about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman, and it's called Jim and Andy, with all this unearthed footage from 20 years ago. Great stuff. Great, great, great stuff is in there. I think in the case of both Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey, but especially in the case of Andy Kaufman, it's clear that uh, Andy had a... I don't know. I'm, look, I'm, I'm hesitant to make judgments about someone else's relationship. But it's clear that he had a difficult relationship with his father. And it's clear to me anyway that a lot of the attention-seeking behavior that he engaged in on the world stage was the manifestation of him wanting his father's attention and approval. And we've seen that time and again. But uh, that's also a great film as well, Jim and Andy. But I do recommend you seeing Man on the Moon prior to seeing Jim and Andy. Uh, But uh, again, uh, let me know what you think of this film, uh, Men Who Stare at Goats. Ewan McGregor, phenomenal. George Clooney, Stephen Root, well done. All right, coming up in just a minute, we are going to bring you commendations. We've got some other things coming your way as well, including Kenny Zhu. We'll talk to Salvation Army. Until next hour. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, it's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, when you want to know who's up and who's down. 
It is time for me to give a pat on the back to those that deserve one and give a little inspiration out there to those who play by the rules because a lot of times if you do something laudable, you just might on some distant day end up with... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. We must first give a commendation to Ryan Bailey. Ryan Bailey has set a Guinness World Record at U.S. Bank Stadium. This is a 33-year-old man who lives in North Carolina. He attended Minnesota's 36-28 win over Pittsburgh at U.S. Bank Stadium. And while Bailey got to see a thrilling game, he made history, too, as he broke a Guinness World Record for attending a game at every NFL stadium in the quickest amount of time, Bailey watched a home game for all 32 teams this season in just 74 days, which eclipsed the previous record of 84 days. Now, that's kind of cool. Who wouldn't love to do something like that? I mean, come on. I also have to give credit to Blue Moon, and I know I shouldn't reward companies that are just looking for cheap publicity by giving them the cheap publicity that they're so seeking. But I thought this was so clever. Blue Moon Beer has debuted a... (laughs) This is so cool. A Vax cardigan to help display your Vax card on holiday outings. They've taken the concept of the ugly holiday sweater and given it a modern twist, introducing the Vax cardigan, which includes a clear pocket holder that lets you display your vaccine card. I think this is really neat. You know how often I've misplaced my vaccination card? Dominic Carter... Now, I just took a photo of it on my phone so that I can have it on there all the time because you always have your phone on you. Dominic Carter lost his vaccination card and until I told him how wait a minute Dominic you can just you look at you show the photo on your phone he didn't know what he was going to do he didn't know how he was going to get into anywhere and I have to give a commendation to Eric Adams the mayor elect because there was some very positive news from him this past week now I'm still waiting to see what happens with Eric Adams because it's amazing to me that every word out of his mouth somehow manages to please everybody. He pleases the progressives, he pleases the conservatives, pleases Democrats, pleases Republicans. Black, white, Jewish, uh, Muslim, vegan, meat eater, you name it, he's going to please you. And so this week, this actually is a positive, so I don't want to I don't want it taking away from his commendation. Eric Adams vowed this past week to bring back punitive segregation at Rikers Island, scrapping the reforms that have taken place under Bill de Blasio. He tweeted, uh, we need a Department of Corrections commissioner who will provide humane conditions to inmates, reduce recidivism rates, support our correction officers, and reimagine DOC from a revolving door punitive system to a holistic rehabilitation system. But on Thursday, when Bill de Blasio was making a whole big thing about how they were ending solitary confinement, Adams comes out and says, enjoy the reprieve now. And he basically indicated he is bringing back punitive segregation, which I think is a big positive. Uh, It's not because I'm looking, and I know we have a lot of listeners in Rikers, big shout out to all of our listeners out there. 
It's not because I am anti-prisoner or anti-inmate, just the opposite. It's only a handful of inmates that cause a problem for everybody. And with these inmates being part of the general population, it creates problems for the correction officers and the other inmates. These people need to be separated, and the Department of Corrections staff needs that as a punitive tool for my money. I want to give a commendation as well. We print, see, we printed this Eric Adams off article twice. Okay. Um, I want to give a commendation as well to Todd Shapiro for doing such a great job hosting us at the Carnegie Club on Friday at, at his expense. Very generous of uh, Todd to do so. And uh, I offered to split it with him. I offered to pay. He wouldn't hear of it. And big thank you to he and his wife, Liz, for coming. You know, I have to commend the New York football giants. And the Giants were mocked for something they did this weekend. And I got to tell you, I thought it was completely unfair. Look, the Giants have not had a good year. Watching the game against the Cowboys Sunday was just painful. It was painful. It was the only way to describe it. But what the Giants came out on this week and said, on Friday, they said, look, this Sunday is going to be Fan Appreciation Day. And Giants season ticket holders received an email from the Giants saying they are entitled to one free soda during Sunday's game against the Cowboys. Now, I think that's a nice thing. You appreciate the fans. You give them something for free. If they have to sit through a losing football team and you knew how this game with the Cowboys was going to turn out, you could have seen that from Jump Street then at least why not give them a free Pepsi-Cola or something? But no, no, they're mocked on Twitter. They're mocked by uh, Mike Francesa, mocked in the New York Post. All right, so what's the what's the choice? Is the choice is watching a bad football team and paying $8 for a Pepsi? Or is the choice getting to enjoy a free Pepsi and sitting through a football game? It's a nice thing. I, I like to encourage franchises like this to giving their customers something for free not discourage them personally i want to commend uh big nose kates i love 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 this group we didn't get this article printed but big nose kates is a terrific bar in uh, my neighborhood and I love what they did. They, uh, you know, the COVID inspector was coming in to examine if they're doing the proper COVID protocols, if they're checking vaccinations. So the bar manager, Maggie Coronian, she said she booted the Department of Health inspector from Big Nose Kate's. Why? Because the Department of Health inspector did not have their vaccination card. So how, if you're a health inspector checking out COVID compliance, how do you go into a bar or a restaurant? And Big Nose Kate's is great. It's one I've been to many times. How do you go into a bar or a restaurant and not have your COVID vaccination card? Uh, I hope all the COVID inspectors learn from this one. And you know what? I hope every manager of every eating and drinking establishment in the city gives these health inspectors the same standard that they expect, that the inspectors inspect 
to give to New Yorkers. Those inspectors walk through the door of your restaurant and your bar. You make sure you double, triple check whether they have their Vax card. Make sure that you check if they have their ID as well. Because uh, I hate that these restaurants are being asked to become the vaccine police. And yet somehow the people that work for the Department of Health think they're somehow exempt from this. I want to also commend a person whose name we don't know. But this is a person who caught my attention as I was watching the CBS Sunday morning yesterday. This is an anonymous businessman who is giving away $30,000 in $100 bills to random strangers on the San Carlos Apache tribal lands. And he said, I've always felt inside my soul a spiritual connection with the Native American. Nearly half of the more than 10,000 people on the Arizona tribal land live below the poverty line. And a lot of people talk about how getting this money, some cases it's $100, some cases it's a few hundred dollars, it really makes the difference in terms of putting food on the table. And um, this guy writes a note with some encouraging words and gives an unexpected gift of cash. He's not looking for credit. I think that's wonderful. I think this guy is a model for all of us this Christmas season in terms of what we can do to be more charitable. Oh, this article was printed, the Big Nose Kate's article. I didn't mean to uh, cast aspersions on Molly's printing ability. Thank you, Molly. I want to commend Buck Showalter, the new manager of the New York Metropolitans. Now... I have never been the biggest Buck Showalter fan. You know, I've been a longtime Yankee hater. And Buck was the Yankees manager in the early 1990s. And, uh, you know, I kind of got used to rooting against him. And all I could think when he was managing the Yankees and the Diamondbacks, I would think, why does this guy never take his jacket off? Take your freaking jacket off, Buck Showalter. It was annoying to me. It's like when somebody comes into a room and they're standing the whole time when everyone else is sitting. Everyone else has their jacket off. We're in the middle of summer. It's 95 degrees, Buckshow Walter. You got your jacket on. What's the deal? What are you hiding behind there? So anyway, that being said, the Mets have had such a miserable string of managers of late. I, I, I think Terry Collins did a great job. But other than if you look at the managers since Terry Collins and before Terry Collins, they they haven't really been picking anyone with any managing experience. Luis Rojas. I mean, did he have a great deal of managing experience? Carlos Beltran never managed a game before in his life. And thankfully, he was fired before he got to manage anybody. Carlos Beltran. Oh, you've never managed a major league game before. Oh, good. Here's the keys to the car. Go crazy. Uh, Mickey Callaway, Mickey Callaway. Oh, have you ever managed a major league game before? Oh, no, but I was the pitching coach for a major league team. What? This is New York. This is the top of the food chain. We are supposed to have baseball professionals that, call me crazy, know something about baseball. And after years in the post-Terry Collins era of seeing manager after manager that has never managed. To actually pick someone who has substantial experience managing in Major League Baseball comes as a, a welcome, welcome surprise. And I will support Buck 
and I uh, commend him. I'm wishing him luck. I tell you, you know, every year I kind of have to try and say to myself, okay, don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. You know they're going to disappoint you. You don't know how they're going to disappoint you, but you know they're going to disappoint you. This year with Max Scherzer, a manager that knows how to manage, and some of the other moves they've been making, I mean... Uh, this is looking like a pretty good year. I hope so. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Although, again, I'm sure COVID will put a, 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 a an end to all of my plans. By the way, I am told that we may hear this week from former New York Mets manager Bobby Valentine. I'm told he might come on this show. And I hope so, because I've been reading his book all week. So that will be a time that could have been better spent preparing for other guests if he is not available. I want to commend the PS10 chess team. These Brooklyn fourth graders from PS10 in Brooklyn have been great. And lo and behold, they have just won a national chess tournament. They trained for weeks and months on end, including including during COVID, when they could just play online and when the schools fully reopened this fall, these kids returned with an extra enthusiasm for the game. And uh, I like chess. I, I've never been too good at it. But when I was, you know, I'm substantially older than my two brothers. And uh, I taught them both how to play chess when they were very young. And I'm so glad that I did because they're now both great chess players, especially my brother Alexander. He is phenomenal. And I'm hopeful that, you know, once my son Carmine stops, um, can hold his head up straight, formulate speech, and stop spitting up constantly, that I can teach Carmine how to play chess, and then maybe his uncle Alex will teach him how to become really good at chess. But I think chess is such a great game for children to play. And the fact that these 10-year-olds are among the best chess players in the entire country, I think it's great. I'd love to see these kids and kids like them get get a little more credit and a little more recognition as opposed to some young people that become social media influencers or somehow create a viral video that everybody talks about. These kids at PS10, these fourth graders are great. And the fact that they won the U.S. K-12 through championships in Orlando, Florida, where they face competition from 125 kids around the city and the country. I think the kids at PS10 in Brooklyn deserve all the credit in the world for that. And finally, I will take a moment of personal privilege to give a commendation to my very good friend, Vinny Ignizio, who was recently named or recently appointed as the new deputy executive director of the New York City Board of Elections. Now, Vinny, I, I am very biased here. Vinny is one of my closest friends. He was best man at my wedding. He was the minority leader of the city council. He was a state assemblyman. And now he is going to be the number two guy, the top Republican at the New York City Board of Elections. And this is a huge step in the right direction because when it comes to Vinny, one, he's not in anybody's pocket. Number two, he's very competent and has demonstrated competence in everything that he's done. So uh, w when it comes to how to fix the Board of Elections, it's not going to be fixed by one guy. But if you start getting more and more competent people in there, 
more and more people who aren't owned by this political boss or that political boss or aren't, you know, beholden to someone else's agenda. That's how we start to fix the problems at the Board of Elections. The more competent people we get in there, the better as far as I'm concerned. And as a friend, I'm happy for him. Uh, it's, a, it's a great job, and he's going to have a great opportunity to make some changes there, I hope. So uh, commendation to my friend Vinny Ignizio. All right. Those are today's commendations. We're going to talk to Kenny Zhu in just a couple of minutes. Let me try and squeeze in one or two quick calls in the meantime, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank, uh, on your accommodation about the man who gave out the $100 uh, to Native Americans, uh, that happened a few days ago. And when I heard it, uh, I, I thought it was just great. It turned my stomach to know that these people can't afford food. And yet 1.7 million illegals come across the border. And not only do we feed them and clothe them and give them health care, it's just, just an absolute disgrace that the Native Americans are in such poverty, and also veterans living on the streets. And we just throw money to the wrong people. And it's, it's just a terrible thing, Frank, and uh, that's what I want to say. I can't disagree with you, Neil. I cannot disagree with you. An organization that I've really admired over the years that I've contributed to, that I've raised a lot of money for, is the Salvation Army. Well, the Salvation Army has been doing some things that makes those of us that are supporters of the Salvation Army scratch our heads. I read about it in a really interesting op-ed. The author of that op-ed, Kenny Zhu, joins me next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow Of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write The great Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. Um, You know, if there's any individual other than Santa Claus that is associated with Christmas, it's got to be Bing Crosby. Does anybody have better Christmas songs? Does anybody have better Christmas movies? Yesterday on television, they had one of my favorite Bing Crosby Christmas films on, Going My Way. Uh, but there's so many. Holiday Inn is a classic. White Christmas is a classic. Uh, the Bells of St. Mary's is a classic. And if there's one thing that might put you in even more of a Christmas mood, if you were like Rip Van Winkle and you were asleep for a uh, 100 years, and you were all of a sudden awoken, how would you know it was Christmas? Well, maybe you'd hear Bing Crosby on the radio. Maybe you'd see TCM playing uh, the Bells of St. Mary's. Or maybe you would walk out to the streets of New York City and you would see somebody in red ringing a bell next to the Salvation Army red kettle. 
for over 100 years, the red kettle at the Salvation Army, to me, is not only representative of Christmas, it's the representative of it's representative of something good. When I have always thought of a group that's altruistic, that's going to do the right thing, that's going to help a lot of people, a group that I'm happy to donate to, I have always thought about the Salvation Army. That was until recently I read an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by our next guest who says that the Salvation Army is now doing some things that I might not be happy about. Here to tell us about is the author of that op-ed, Kenny Zhu. He also happens to be the president of Color Us United. Kenny, good morning. Thanks for staying up late with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank. So, uh, Kenny, before we discuss your op-ed and uh, what's going on with the Salvation Army, tell folks, just so they know where you're coming from and your background, what exactly is Color Us United? What kind of group is this? We advocate for a race-blind America in this time of division. Uh, we believe there's a lot more that unifies Americans than there is that divides Americans. And that includes race. Uh, if you go on colorusunited.org, you can find that we we take on the institutions that are going woke, peddling CRT, trying to divide Americans, redivide them on the basis of race again through diversity trainings and anti-meritocratic policies. Um, and uh, we we empower ordinary employees to speak out. Okay. Well, so you got this great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I've just linked to it on my Facebook page. People can read it, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash Fan. But just give us a little background on the Salvation Army. Historically, what does the Salvation Army do and what they ha- what have they been doing in this country for the last hundred years or so? The Salvation Army is a Christian charity. They're also a church. And their mission is to preach the gospel by meeting human needs. Um, that's how that's how they were founded, and that's what they purport to continue to do today. Uh, the problem is the Salvation Army has corrupted in the highest of its leadership ranks um, a group of ideologues out to prove that America is a racist country have taken over the ranks within the leadership of the Salvation Army and have peddled this divisive racial ideology um, in the form of its new Let's Talk About Racism packet, where they incorrectly and falsely claim that America is a racist country, that it's structured still today against black people, um, uh, that the Salvation Army ironically is complicit in this, uh, they are, of course, the least racist organization you could think of in accusing its members of racism, uh, including its donors of racism, is probably not a good strategy. So, uh, and yet they've done it anyway. So this year, the Salvation Army's International Social Justice Commission, they published this discussion guide called, as you said, Let's Talk About Racism. What are some of the things in this, this discussion guide? And what's wrong with a discussion guide? Why, why shouldn't we have a conversation about racism? We should have a conversation about racism. Um, but it's just flat out wrong. Cases. So what's um, in there? What's in the guide? Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about racism. Uh, 
in this in this document, they're saying things like, "Stop trying to be colorblind." Um, that's what they said. Being colorblind is wrong. Then they say America is, is still a structurally racist society that is um, that that still maintains structures um, that 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 attack um, black Americans and people of color. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't give evidence. Uh, and then it says that members should lament, repent, and apologize for their complicity in racism uh, for the church. Um, and what's wrong about this is that you can be sorry about the history of racism in our country without having to repent and apologize for it. Um, there's there's a key difference. You know, I'm, of course, sorry about the history of racism in America. But if I'm apologizing for it, that means that I believe that I am personally um, part of this uh, racism. Right. Maybe we um, could limit and, your apology to all the people that you personally have discriminated against. And it's, and it's very actually, if you're a Christian, it's actually very Pharisee uh, like. I'm going to repent on behalf of all of this wicked, all of these other wicked people. Um, and uh, it's actually a very arrogant thing to ask um, of a person. But they do it because they want to make a person feel guilty about their alleged racism because it opens up so many boxes um, for them to be able to take power within the organization. So who wrote this? Who is the Salvation Army's International Social Justice Commission? Who makes the decision to write something like this and put it out there to all the Salvation Army members and say, hey, by the way, just so you guys know, you're all racist and maybe you should stop being racist? Yeah, undoubtedly, uh, the Salvation Army didn't write this themselves. They most likely hired a consulting firm to do it one of those diversity consulting firms that people pay millions of dollars these days to uh, to write these kinds of things. But it was definitely authorized and endorsed by the highest people within the Salvation Army, including the general, General Brian Peddle, who is the highest ranking official in the Salvation Army. He's also Canadian. So maybe he has a grudge against America or something. Um, but it was definitely authorized by the highest officials of the Salvation Army. And essentially, they were blaming themselves for their own racism. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, I mean, in, in, in let's talk about racism, for example. It says there's no doubt as to how racism has impacted the Salvation Army in its history and its practice. That's it. That's all it says. That's, it says there's no doubt as to how racism has impacted the Salvation Army. It does not cite a single piece of evidence to suggest that the worst thing that it cites is that one Salvation Army found a doll that hung above his room one time with a noose on it, um, which is bad, but it's isolated. And uh, they're trying to construct a racism narrative within the Salvation Army now. Uh, and that doesn't exist. In fact, the Salvation Army was one of the uh, was the first organization in 18, 1898 to create a non-discrimination ordinance saying we will not debar anybody the benefits of the Salvation Army because of their color um, or ethnic background. They, they've been one of the most progressive organizations on this. 
And they're trying to accuse the Salvation Army of being racist. So the the premise, in your view, is completely flawed. The the Salvation Army's International Social Justice Commission, by sending out this memo to the donors and the members of the Salvation Army saying, stop being racist, or at least let's talk about racism in the Salvation Army's history, you don't believe the Salvation Army has a racist history? No, I don't believe the Salvation Army has a racist history at all. And that's something that, People, you know, people love to take advantage of these allegations of racism because it's so, it's so, it, it, it it's so, um, how would I put it, um, hard to, hard to attack because people are so scared of attacking it. But if there's one organization that it's, it's so obvious that they're not racist, that its members are absolutely not racist, that its history is not racist, it's the Salvation Army. And trying to make the Salvation Army, put it into this racism narrative is ridiculous. It, it really is. And there, it's actually really sad because it doesn't help a single inner city child that the right. Salvation Army or, is or, trying to protect. Or anybody else for that matter. Now, there was a little bit of a backlash to this, not only from people like you, but from some other Salvation Army donors. And so I understand they actually took down this document. Is that right? They did, but they haven't apologized for it, nor have they released what Colorist United, we were the ones who publicized this, they haven't released any statement of replacement that they said they would. Commander Kenneth Hodder, who's a U.S. National Commander, said on video for uh, CBN News that they will release a replacement, but they haven't done that yet. So we're holding them accountable to that. And specifically, we want them to say what what their members and what their donors already know, which is that America and white people are not racist. They're not inherently racist, and America is not a racist country. Um, and that's what we want them to say. They have yet to say anything to that regard. So even though they've taken down the document publicly, in your view, the problem is not solved? Of course not, because they still have internally, they still have the DEI trainings that have been peddling this. They still have their surveys inside that they've been peddling um, that, that try to create a racism narrative. Um, they still have critical race theory um, being taught at some of its sermons. Uh, they need to create a state to make a statement denouncing critical race theory because there's no, absolutely no way you can justify critical race theory with the gospel. The only way you can justify critical race theory is, um, is, is the way everybody justifies critical race theory, which is to try to spin a racism narrative that I've already pointed out to you in the audience does not exist within the Salvation Army. What do you think the motivation behind this is? Let's say this was produced by a high-priced social justice consultant of some sort. Why would the Salvation Army, a group which has historically enjoyed such a great reputation among both the public and donors, why would they need a document like this? What's the what's what's this all about? What, what do you think the motivation is here? Because the because they're uh, as they argue in my op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, it is possible they're trying to court corporate giving. Um, they're trying to get the Googles and Facebooks of the world to donate to the Salvation Army. Um, def- by the way, definitely um, a definitely a a a a pursuit that is bound to end fruitlessly. 
Uh, progressives hate the Salvation Army, and this does not change the fact that they do. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they think that they may need to engage with the woke speak. Um, a lot of the more progressive members of the Salvation Army, um, by the way, most of the Salvation Army people are not woke, um, but there is a contingent who has taken power and they want to enforce their ideology. They're hiring two new DEI directors. These DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion directors, will have authority over the curricula that the Salvation Army produced. That means that they have the power to reject any curricula the Salvation Army produces for, quote-unquote, not being sufficiently inclusive. Uh, So this is about power and taking power within the organization. Has there been – so let's say you're right, and I I tend to think you probably are, your theory that this was done to court corporations, uh, donations from big corporations – has there been a backlash from individual donors once they, once you and your group helped get the word out about this? Were individual donors unhappy that the Salvation Army leadership seems to have become so woke all of a sudden? This has probably been the biggest donor backlash for wokeness probably in the history of donor backlashes. I'm not even – because I can't think of one that has been bigger than the one that has happened against the Salvation Army since Thanksgiving. Um, we, we did a survey. Um, we, we polled donors before and after we released the Let's Talk About Racism curriculum, basically asking them their opinion of the Salvation Army and how likely they are to donate. Uh, the Salvation Army went from 11% unfavorable to 41% unfavorable. Wow. This is the this is is going to um, this this is the biggest backlash in donors that's going to affect their donations probably in the history definitely in the history of the Salvation Army mm-hmm. but probably in the history of nonprofit world in general based on wokeness. We're talking with Kenny Zhu. He's the president of Color Us United. So Kenny, let's say people are listening to us and they like a lot of the work that the Salvation Army does and they've historically been donors to the Salvation Army. Do you think that people should stop donating until the Salvation Army comes clean and makes clear that they're not in favor of this kind of racial behavior? I obviously think people have the right to make their own decisions, but here's how I would put it. I would go to your local Salvation Army chapter, which in this case is in New York City. By the way, I know some of the good leaders of the Salvation Army in New York City personally. And I would lobby and I would email Salvation Army, especially if you're a supporter, I would email your local headquarters and I would say, what are, what on earth? Make a statement. I want you to make a statement. You, the local Salvation Army chapter, no, America is not a racist country. No, we do not believe in critical race theory. Um, and then I would make your donation contingent upon that. That's what I would do because we need the local Salvation Army leaders to rise up and build a movement within the Salvation Army to fully extirpate wokeness from within the Salvation Army chapter by chapter. And the, the more chapters speak out, the more more will speak out. Some already have, such as one in Dearborn Heights, Michigan, um, and we need more. 
And um, are there other problematic charities that folks may not be aware of that have gotten on board with this sort of ultra-woke agenda? Of course. I mean, of course, this is a this is this the part of the reason why Colorist United targeted the Salvation Army is not because we have any personal vendetta against the Salvation Army. In fact, I love the Salvation Army and what they're doing, and I'm trying to help bring it towards its gospel and service oriented mission, in which CRT is a parasite upon. Um, but this is a larger attack on the Christian Church. People who are not educated in this need to understand the Christian church has been facing a blunt, a brute force attack by race ideologues who are trying to twist um, his words. I, I would say Jesus' words, except they hardly ever quote Jesus, um, are trying to attack Christianity and trying to force Christians to feel guilty about themselves, guilty about the world, Guilty about race in America and ultimately to uh, deconstruct all of their institutions in the name of going woke. So I would I would be very vigilant with where your donations are going to and lobby your local Christian organization, especially your local charity, to make sure it's going in the right place. Well, uh, Kenny, I've enjoyed the discussion, and um, we'll have to chat again soon. Uh, you've written an interesting book as well. Hopefully we can uh, get you on the show soon to talk about that, too. Yes, thank you. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion. Kenny Zhu, he's the president of Color Us United. I've linked to this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. You can check it out at uh, face at facebook.com slash moranofan. That is facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. Uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. And it taught me a lot of stuff that I didn't know. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. Meantime, if you are um, looking for a gift for the overweight person in your life, think about subsidizing their patronage of the Skinny Center. You know, I posted the video on Facebook of the uh, interview that I did with Corey Windelspecht and Amy Bursar on Thursday. And I was afraid to watch this video. Because I saw only the thumbnail sketch of how I look in the video. And sure enough, I look like Jabba the Hutt in the thumbnail that is the what you have to click on to see the video. I look just awful. I look like this giant blob. And I, I can promise you, I am not going to sit through the year 2022 looking like uh, John Candy just ate Dom DeLuise. Not going to happen. And uh, the guy that is going to be my savior in that regard is the same guy that has helped out Greg Kelly, and that's Mitch Suss. He's the founder of the Skinny Center, and he has got this stuff literally down to a science. They begin with comprehensive lab testing that pinpoints abnormalities in the body chemistry that are the reasons we overeat, the reasons we might crave sugar. And Greg Greg Kelly looks great, thanks to Mitch Suss. And I am looking forward to, right after the holidays, getting on board with the Skinny Center agenda. Call the Skinny Center right now if you're looking to lose some weight as well. Join me, join Greg Kelly and uh, sign up today. Call the Skinny Center at 914-703-4811 
or go to theskinnycenter.com. That's theskinnycenter.com. W-A-B-C. Oh, W-A-B-C. was the night before Christmas. All was quiet and still, except for that house up on Blueberry Hill. The stockings were hung. It seemed all was right. But there were more than just sugar plums dancing that night. Down the basement of guitar rail Dancing with Santa by the Trashmen. You remember the Trashmen, don't you? They're the ones that did Surfing Bird. And uh, they are just great. I think I have that correct. Yeah. I think I have that accurate. But it's a great song nonetheless, Dancing with Santa. We are in full-fledged Christmas mode. You know, during the commercial, I was just looking up a couple more Christmas gifts that I could get for people. And I, I saw this interesting gift. By the way, Matt Blaze, assuming you're still working here in five days well, on the show, meaning I'm sure you'll be employed here at the radio station, you're yes. not expecting a Christmas gift from me, are you? No. Right. And you're should not going to get me one. No, you should no. not. So, yeah. And then, Ryan, g- gift of nothing, right? I mean, we'll have a gentleman's <laughs> agreement. I mean, well, you're only here two days a week anyway. Right? That's, well, yeah, three days a week. But, yeah, I, I don't think there'd be much of a gift. Gentleman's yeah. agreement. Molly's in a little bit of a different category because <laughs> real, I, I've been Real men don't longer. give gifts. Exactly. Just go, hey, how you doing? Uh, exactly. Merry Christmas. Uh. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny. My siblings and I, I have uh, two brothers and one sister, and we uh, we have agreed that we are not giving one another any gifts for Christmas ever in perpetuity. And so some of us want to extend that policy to our birthdays as well. And it's interesting that the leading voice against Implementing that policy on a birthday-wide basis is my sister, Claudia, and she's joined by my wife, Rachel, and my future uh, sister-in-law, Tat, who don't want that happening. But anyway, so I'm looking at – this is a really creative gift for somebody, and I'm almost hesitant to to say it because I'm trying to think maybe I would get it for someone. I I might get it for my mom because she's into this stuff. But then she's not that technical of a person, so maybe I won't get it. But this is really interesting, and I might get this for somebody. This is a five-LED EMF meter magnetic field detector ghost hunting paranormal equipment tester counter. There's all sorts of equipment that you can buy to hunt for ghosts. Now, on the one hand, I'm not sure who I would give this to. On the other hand, how do you know if it works or not? I mean, I, I, mean, I guess if you if you know your house is haunted and then it starts beeping when you get close to the ghost, I guess you know it's working. But beyond that, I have to think that maybe this is the kind of thing that you'll never know 
if it's working or not. So I don't know. So I, I, there are there's some creative gifts out there. I'm making progress here. I still I still have to get. See, my wife is really into experiences, and I have to think of something good for her. So those of you that have a suggestion, give me a, give me a, an email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Don't call necessarily because then she'll hear if she's listening to the podcast, and I don't want to give it away necessarily. All right. Meantime, um, you know, I am getting very concerned over this uh, COVID uptick, not because I'm worried that I'm going to get COVID, but I am getting concerned that it's going to lead to all sorts of restrictions coming back into place. And I have this big New Year's Eve Eve party coming up in 10 days in Atlantic City. By the way, if anybody wants to come to that, just email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. This year, as you've seen, if you've gotten the email, we have set up, we, we might look to hire some celebrities to be there this year. Uh, because people get a kick out of meeting celebrities. You should have seen when Mayor Giuliani came to the Carnegie Club the other day. All the people among my social group that were excited to meet Mayor Giuliani and John Katsimatidis for that matter. But we've set up a celebrity acquisition fund. We've actually set up a GoFundMe page that will allow us to hire celebrities to come to the New Year's Eve Eve party. And so far, we have raised $5 for that celebrity acquisition fund. So hopefully we get other other funds in there. I'm not sure what celebrities we could actually acquire for 5 bucks, but I don't know. Maybe Lenny Venito or something. I don't know. But um, hopefully we're, we don't see things waylaid by this uh, COVID uptick. If Jersey does start issuing new restrictions, hopefully they'll do it after the first of the year. Start on December 31st. Start on January 1st after everything, after everything gets – after everybody has their holiday parties and everything. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Hey, so there was an interesting article in the New York Post this weekend showing that New York City has shown a big decline in the number of UFO sightings. And some people have asked, you know, what's this all about, Alfie? And I don't think this means there are fewer extraterrestrials flying around New York City. I don't. I think this is a reflection of, unlike 2020, a lot more people are back at work and a lot more pe- a lot fewer people are sitting home staring up at the night sky and seeing what looks odd i think that's all that is i think it's a reflection of fewer people looking personally and who knows it could be something else i don't think so frank.morano at wabcradio.com if you want to comment do encourage you to follow me on facebook facebook.com/moranofan and on twitter at frankmorano and if you do want to see a photograph of uh, of Mayor Giuliani and Curtis Lewa in me, you can follow me on Instagram as well at Morano Vision. That's Morano M O R A N O Vision, and you can see a photo of John Katzmatidis in me, who was kind enough to come to our cigar outing on Friday uh, on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano Fan. That's uh, facebook.com slash Morano Fan. Speaking of getting, oh, by the way. I know a lot of you that listen right now are people that are working. 
I know a lot of you might be working odd hours. Maybe you're the only one in your workspace. Maybe you can't sleep. Maybe you're driving home. A lot of you are people who have unorthodox sleeping schedules. And you guys are my people, right? You, we are kindred spirits. We are in this together. Because if you're up on a regular basis at 3.54 in the morning, we are a fraternity, okay? Nobody else that you interact with for the rest of your day will understand what you're going through, except for me. I laugh at these people. I, you know, I wake up sometimes noon, sometimes one, sometimes two. I get six, seven missed calls. At people calling me at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and I'm thinking, who are these people that are calling me at this time? How do they not know that I'm asleep right now? And do you ever get that sense that – and again, I recognize that I can't expect the rest of the world to change for my schedule, but the, the rest of the world should at least pay a little consideration. So anyway, I saw this uh, – I read this interesting article on CNBC's website about the best way to stay awake, either to work or to um, drive home or to do anything, really. This is a great way to boost your productivity, okay? We've heard a lot of strategies for staying awake and for being productive when you're tired. Some people say, take a nap. Other people say, have a cup of coffee. Well, one doctor who's an expert in this named Daniel Pink, he's a behavior expert, says the solution is do both. If you want the perfect nap to allow you to drive home without falling asleep or to allow you to get through your workday, and I've done this. I've done this before coming on the radio, and I will tell you it works wonders. Somebody, my friend Ricky Viola told me that doctors do this about 11 years ago. And I think, you know, so I figured I'd try it. It's worked well for me. Here is what Daniel Pink says the solution is. He calls it a nappuccino, a nappuccino. It's a term that's been dubbed by Daniel Pink. It's a technique to maximize naps by combining coffee with 20 minutes of shut-eye. So the method helps decrease the amount of adenosine, which is a chemical in the body that causes sleepiness. This is all part of his interview with CNBC. I may try and get this guy on the show. And the effects of a nappuccino are magic and a great restorative ritual to use after a few hours of work. So if you have 20 minutes to take a nap at work or 20 minutes before you drive home, the best thing you can do is right before you take that 20-minute nap, down a cup of coffee. You'll wake up in 20 minutes alert, ready to drive home without falling asleep or ready to continue on with your workday. I have tried this method. It works absolute wonders. I can't say enough good things about it. I am a big, big advocate of the Nappuccino. Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Hey, coming up next hour... I have one of two subjects that we're going to get into. I think we're going to get into this one. Um, 
supermarkets. We all go to the supermarket, especially this time of year, a lot of people preparing to host parties or do whatever else. I go there primarily to cash in the cans and bottles that I, uh, you know, that I purchase, uh, you know, that I redeem. Supermarkets in New York currently can't sell wine. There have been proposals for years to allow supermarkets in the state of New York to sell wine. A lot of the opposition to that predictably comes from owners of liquor stores, owners of bars who don't want you to be able to go to the grocery store and buy a couple of bottles of wine. They want you to be able to only go to a liquor store and get that. So should liquor store, excuse me, should supermarkets be able to sell wine in New York or New Jersey, whatever the case may be, in any community, why or why not? So I want you to give me your answer and then have a reason as to why that's the case. And maybe you'll help me make up my mind because I'm of two minds about it. I'll explain it when we come back. 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 We'll also play the $1,000 Minute. And uh, we gave away some money on Friday, which was nice. I, I didn't actually transmit the money yet to the person that won. It's on my list of things to do for today. Uh, if you want to call in, 800-848-9222. Until next hour, in the words of the great Barry Farber, to be continued. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, chances are there's many of you out there that drink wine. Chances are there's even some of you out there that occasionally go to grocery stores or supermarkets. Here's a question for you. Should you be able to combine those two experiences? Should you be able to go to the supermarket or the grocery store and purchase wine? Why or why not? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Many states do not allow you to buy wine in the grocery store. You could buy beer. They have um, something called wine product that you can buy, which is 5% alcohol or less, which is not wine. It's like it's disgusting, quite frankly. But if you are not able to – if you're not able to – buy wine, but you can buy beer, how does that make sense? 
800-848-9222. In some states like California, you can be buy beer, wine, and liquor at the grocery store. In others, like New York, you can buy beer at the supermarket, but you need to make a separate trip to the liquor store to buy wine and hard alcohol. In others, like Utah, alcoholic beverages can only be purchased at state-run facilities. Isn't that funny that Utah does that? A state that uh, is so – which has such an influential Mormon population and Mormons don't drink alcohol, as Willard Mitt Romney can tell you, the people that make money from alcohol sales in Utah is the government. I mean, that's wild. And, you know, New Jersey being New Jersey, obviously they had to do something really bizarre. In New Jersey, each grocery store chain is allowed a total of two liquor licenses to sell alcohol. I mean, what, what sense does that make? How do they come up with that in New Jersey? We're going to give every grocery chain two liquor licenses. So given that the bigger grocery chains have dozens of locations in Jersey, that means that supermarket sales are the exception rather than the rule. So sales vary a great deal from southern New England through Maryland. Maryland has a weird situation where counties largely control the administration of liquor stores. So there's actually variation within Maryland from county to county. The south is pretty consistent from Virginia through Florida. Supermarket sales are pretty straightforward. Beer and wine are okay. Hard alcohol is not. So my question for you is, should grocery stores be allowed to sell wine and liquor? Why or why not? I am of two minds about this. On the one hand, I have kind of a libertarian streak in me. My view is, look, it's a private business. They're able to sell beer. People go there to buy food. A lot of times there's a, a nice wine that goes with a great meal. Why shouldn't a store that wants to sell this product be able to? And if people want to go there and buy wine or liquor for that matter, why shouldn't they be able to? That being said, so that's my intellectual assessment of the situation. That being said, I would hate to see what this would do to local liquor stores. Uh, this would be, I don't want to say it would be devastating to local liquor stores, so many of which are small businesses, many of which are run by families, but it would really hurt. It would really hurt. And does this potentially lead to a situation where you see a bunch of drunk people in the grocery store, in and around the grocery store. So, and that's what the argument against this is. Efforts to oppose broadening access to alcohol via supermarket sales are often grounded in those sort of public health arguments. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Task Force on Alcohol Outlets found, quote, sufficient evidence of a positive association between outlet density and excessive alcohol consumption and related harms. In other words, more liquor stores, more drinking problems. National Alcohol Beverage Control Association, they cited those findings as a potential drawback of allowing supermarket alcohol sales. Their view is this is going to allow alcohol to be more prevalent, lead to more people drinking, which leads to all sorts of you know health problems. 
The reason that argument doesn't hold water with me is they can already sell beer. So, all right, you can take a little longer, but not much longer to get drunk with beer than it does wine. So allowing supermarket alcohol sales could actually decrease the density of liquor stores in a given location. 800-848-9222. Tell me, should you be able to go to the grocery store and buy alcohol? Why or why not? 1-800-848-WABC. Let me begin with Barry in Syosset. Hello, Barry. Barry. I got you, Barry. Go ahead. Yeah, you got. Can you hear me? Now I hear you, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm in my bunker in the People's Republic of Syosset. Uh, I would say a little bit of competition doesn't hurt because I did frequent some of those mom-and-pop shops, and a lot of times they just gave me advice based on the inventory they had, and maybe I wanted, let's say, an organic wine, and they didn't have it, Mm. so they poo-pooed it. And I think it would be very good to have a little bit more distribution of product. You may have noticed that there are some large big box stores which are pushing wine and spirits and uh, nobody says anything about them. Uh, I think it wouldn't hurt a little bit of competition and maybe the uh, mom and pops will uh, blow the dust off their bottles and not say it's a Montiago. And uh, that's what I say, Frank. Well, it, it makes sense. So you think allow the grocery stores to do it, see what happens. Right. And I just also wanted to say, I did sign up for your 10 question thing. Is that going to, can I still hang on there? Uh, well, no, no. You got to be the seventh caller at 430, to be honest, Barry. But thank you. 800-848-WABC. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. Um, I go to ShopRite in Hoboken from time to time, and they have a liquor store all the way in the back of the store. You buy your groceries first. You could go in there and buy whatever you want, but it has to be done separately. But they, they've they had a shop right liquors now forever in New Jersey. Certain stores, not everybody. Hello? Frank? Yeah. Um... The microphone. Okay, now my microphone was working. But Carol, so you really, you, you didn't really answer my question. My question was, should you be able to purchase wine in grocery stores, and why or why not? Yes, I think so because it's more convenient for, for people. You don't have to go to a separate store to buy the alcohol. Okay, well that's one yeah. argument for convenience. Thank you, Carol. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mark is in New Haven, Connecticut. Hello, Mark. Good morning, Frank. Nice to speak with you as always. Likewise. So the um, situation, just to give you some background, in Connecticut, you can buy beer in the grocery stores, but not but not wine or distilled spirits, and. Historically, until recently, all, you could only buy wine and, and liquor in, in uh, package stores. And um, oh, that's still true. But you could, they closed at 8 o'clock, then they extended it to 9 o'clock. And the reason that it was so restricted, it was a kind of a holdover from prohibition on one hand. And the other thing that happened is that the package store owners had political clout. Right. And so right. the reason that the stores closed in the Connecticut at 8 or 9 o'clock at night is the package store owners didn't want to be up. 
And so if they made a law that everybody had to close, nobody could get a competitive advantage. Interesting. Uh, in that way. And and that and, and the other little sidebar fact was that at one point in his career, one of the lobbyists that the package store owners hired to represent them in Hartford was Joe Lieberman. Because his father was a package store owner in Stamford. Well, now when you, you you keep using that term package store, what is a package store? It's it's another name for a liquor store in Connecticut. Okay, all right. Well, it's, so so what do you think is the proper policy, Mark? Should you be able to buy I, wine and and liquor in a grocery store? It doesn't bother me, but it 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 it, it it's the legislature being protectionist, and so I don't have a strong feeling because I I don't drink anymore. Of course, I don't drink any less either, but that's a different question. <laughs> Very funny. Um, Very funny. That that um, it's it's just the way the laws are, and and it's it's protectionist, um, and 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 the law, and and I believe it's still true. I don't follow it anymore, but the the state had minimums of uh, minimum prices, so that there was no no liquor store could have a competitive advantage over another one. Everybody sold the same product at the same price, and um, it probably hurt consumers a little bit, but there was convenience in that there are liquor store, package stores, you know, on every few blocks, because even if you're small, there were no advantages to economy of scale because the state uh, liquor commission set the prices. Well, that's interesting, Mark. And uh, the reason I, – I don't think that's a wise idea, the, the price setting for the same products, because there are so many different um, – there are so many different factors that go into pricing. Mark, thanks for the call. For instance, uh, here in New York, I don't think you could ever do that because the rent of the liquor store across the street from us on 3rd Avenue, it's probably three times, maybe four times – what the rent of my local liquor store is in my neighborhood. So that liquor store has got to pay its rent. And so does the liquor store in my neighborhood. So why shouldn't the liquor store in my neighborhood be able to offer a bottle of wine for a bit less expensive than the one across the street? 800-848-9222. Lori is in North Carolina. Hello, Lori. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you. Um, okay, so here's my opinion. I think that wine and beer should be sold at the grocery store and liquor should be sold at the liquor stores. Um, okay. Well, so w- tell me why. Um, because I think liquor should, uh, the liquor stores should have the market on that. See, I'm, uh, in North Carolina, that's how we do it and it works perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, so we, we okay makes sense to me. Anything legislators should keep in mind in our state, Lori, as they consider doing this? Um, well, I'm originally from North Jersey, and we didn't do it up there. Right. Um, but when I moved down here, it seems to work perfect because, like people say. You want to go to the grocery store and get your groceries, and then you want to buy a bottle of wine. It just is really a good convenience. It is. It is, which is why I think if I were a policymaker, I would have to 
I would have to come down on the side of allowing grocery stores to sell wine and liquor. I mean, I, I, to me, I don't see really the rationale for for prohibiting it. Lori, thank you for the call. I appreciate you listening down there in North Carolina. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you want to weigh in on this question. Uh, that is 800-848-9222. I just got an email here, and you can email me as well. At frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Dan writes, a lot of us can't. You know what? I'm going to save this email for tomorrow because it's a good email. And tomorrow we will go through your best and worst emails. And uh, if you want to email me, uh, whether you have praise, criticism, if you have an email that's poignant, fun, a good question, uh, whatever, funny Email me and we'll read your best and worst emails tomorrow. My wife was laughing hysterically at a piece of mail she got yesterday, and it relates to this show. And I am going to read it tomorrow. This email, this mail, it was it was snail mail. This snail mail has had her laughing all weekend. So I am going to share that with you tomorrow. I don't even think it was as a joke that that this was sent to her. I don't know how they got our home address. That's a little disconcerting, but I will share this with you tomorrow. Uh, Frank uh, dot Morano at WABCRadio.com if you want to email. Meantime, you want to call in 800-848-9222. Frank is in Brooklyn. Hello, Frank. Yes, hi. Good morning, Frank. Uh, morning. I sell liquor for, uh, excuse me, I sell wine for a living, and I've had a liquor store before. If you allow wine in the supermarket, there is a couple of issues. Number one, it would devastate the liquor store industry. Number two, what denotes a supermarket. Does that mean every bodega in every neighborhood can now sell wine? Every Quickway gas station can sell wine as well. It would would devastate the industry completely. And liquor stores cannot sell beer. Oh, interesting. You know, I didn't realize that. I don't know. You know, I spent a lot of time in liquor stores. You'd think I would have noticed that. So, um, so it would be like Dave, like Mayor, Mayor Donatio, who puts uh, 200,000 Uber drivers on the road and devastated the cab industry. Right. It makes zero sense. Right. So um, how do I justify, though, Frank? Because, look, I am a supporter of the small business owners and the liquor store owners especially. Yeah. How do I justify, let's say I'm a policymaker. Let's say, you know, Andrew Giuliani, for instance, he listens to this show. He's running for governor. Let, let's say he's listening to this discussion. How does he justify not allowing a a supermarket let's say Gristides or uh, whatever whatever you pick the, the Trader Joe's whatever not yep. allowing them to sell wine but allowing them to sell other types of alcohol like beer isn't that a little hypocritical well not, not hypocritical because again how are you going to define a supermarket you're going to start to say well only 3000 square feet denotes a supermarket who can sell wine or only uh, a thousand square feet can do it. It would put wine everywhere in the reach of everyone. And a bodega owner who has a 3,000 square foot bodega will now have to be monitoring people coming in for age, not only for beer, but for wine as well. Well, but let's, let's say you did that. And, and again, I'm, let's go down this road, this hypothetical road. Then those people would be able, those people would still not be able to sell to folks under the age of 21 anyway. What difference does it make? 
the division of Jamaica would be a much more much more volume of people coming in to to buy wine along with beer. It would be much more harder to regulate. All right, so especially in, in uh, liquor stores, you know, in liquor stores, uh, there are constantly police and people from the SLA industry who monitor who you sell it to and send in decoy people and things like that. It would be impossible to regulate the age situation as well. Okay, so so three things I think are going on here. If New York or any other state were to allow uh-huh. grocery stores to sell liquor, one – um, liquor and wine would be much more prevalent and much more readily available to the public. That's right. Two, it would logistically be a nightmare for grocery stores, especially smaller grocery stores, which are right. so ubiquitous in Manhattan. And uh, and and three, it would become a uh, very difficult enforcement problem for for local officials as well because every every corner deli would essentially be able to sell uh, bourbon vodka wine whatever yeah it's, 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 it would be insanity and it would hurt the small businesses oh, the liquor, the liquor stores, stores forget it liquor stores the liquor stores now uh, Bob like you you refer to mom and pops are devastated by big box liquor stores who have tremendous deals with uh, Seagrams and people like that who who already are hurting uh, small businesses where they can sell a bottle of uh, or anything bottle of Pinot Grigio for five ninety nine when that's what a small liquor store is actually paying for the product mm. so they would just be wiped out they would not exist interesting all right hey uh, Frank thanks for for sharing all that perspective great show Clearly, usual. my uh, pleasure thank you Frank eight hundred eight four eight WABC Jack is in Manhattan hello Jack what say you hi how are you. Good. Listen, the, one of the reasons could be that most of the supermarkets have, like, high school kids on a register, and minors cannot sell alcohol. Well, they sell— like cigarettes. Do, do they sell beer now? They're not allowed to sell alcohol at all. Well, so let's say, words, they're, let's they're, say you're buying beer at a supermarket. You, you're not allowed right. to go—you have to pick a, a, a cashier that's over the age of 21? Technically, that's what it is. Whether that's enforced or not, I have no idea, you know. But technically, even cigarettes at like a Seven Eleven or a Quick Check or whatever, if you're underage, you're not supposed to be selling that. Right. You're I, not supposed to be handling it, selling it. I understand so that, Jack. That but falls under the liquor. If they were to allow grocery stores to sell wine and liquor – they could use the same methods that they use in terms of sales of beer, which is, I guess, if, if what you're saying is accurate, and I have no reason to disagree with you, um, if you're if you're buying beer, you have to go to somebody that's over 21. Why couldn't they do that same thing for wine? Oh, I, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think i born and raised in Manhattan. I'm trapped in New Jersey now. In New Jersey, you can't get wine, beer, anything in a supermarket, you have to go to the liquor store. I think that it should be, they should be allowed to sell everything at the liquor, at the uh, supermarkets. It just makes it easier. How did now, you, how did you end the, up getting trapped in New Jersey, Jack? Oh, it, it's a, a long story. I, I was, I was, I'm a retired cop in New York. And I moved here because it was cheaper 20-something years ago, 30 years ago, and now it's all reversed. It's all topsy-turvy. I, I, 
sorry I ever did it. Mm. Interesting. Interesting, Jack. Well, hopefully you'll be able to make it out of there and make your way back to New York. I hope so, for your sake. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, Mike. Good morning to you and all the audience, Mr. Marino. Uh, the sales situation in Ohio was traditionally you could buy uh, wine, uh, low-powered alcohol, up to 40 proof, and beer in a corner store in a supermarket. Traditionally, 40 proof and higher was handled by what was called a state store, like it's kind of like an ABC store they talk about in Virginia, or what Laurie alluded to in North Carolina. They're also called ABC stores there. Uh, they changed it probably within the last 10, 15 years. The, uh, a lot of the franchisees, the supermarkets own the franchisee for the alcohol store, so it's basically cordoned off inside of the supermarket for the alcohol. So you have a separate cash register there for that, and you have to walk through a separate door and stuff. All right, M- Mike, um, w- w- what what phone company do you use? Um, yes, our dear friends AT&T. This, of course, we're talking on a 60-year-old hard line, too. So This has got to be one of the worst quality phone calls I've received in years, and I just want people to know what phone company is responsible. It's ATT. They're not maintaining the hard lines good anymore. I've had pro- uh, up to about a year and a half ago, it was uh, normally clear. Interesting. And yeah, I've got the damn hum in there now. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, AT&T customers, be warned. I don't disagree with what Mike is saying, is they're pushing mobile phone, mobile phone, mobile phone, and they are not doing the maintenance necessary on their hard line. And, you know, we've seen this on radio as well, in radio stations. You know, years ago, if a radio station was doing um, a show, a radio show was doing a show remotely, especially if there's a host that would do the show from home, he would get installed in their home office or their home studio an ISDN line. Trying Phone companies don't install these ISDN lines anymore. So that's why you see a lot of these hosts from home that are forced to use Internet connections, and it doesn't sound as good a lot of the time. just doesn't sound as good. And it's not the host's fault. It's not the radio station's fault. It's the fault of the phone companies because they won't install these ISDN. I don't know if they will still install a T1 line, uh, which is also a pretty good quality remote connection. Matt, do you know at all, do they still install T1 lines for remote broadcast? Do you have any idea? I don't think they do. I don't think they do either for some reason. Everything's over the internet now. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. All right, 800-848-9222. Hey, you know what we're going to do? Coming up in three minutes, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute and give you an opportunity to win $1,000 by answering 10 questions in 60 seconds. Uh, if you can answer 10 questions in 60 seconds, you think I have what it takes? Call us right now. Be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-WABC if you've never played the game before. It's 1-800-848-9222. Be the seventh caller, and you'll have an opportunity to compete and try to win the money. Uh, we'll do that in just a minute. Meantime, for those of you that are not lucky enough to win the $1,000 Minute Money, don't worry, there is long-term financial security in your future as well, thanks to the good folks over at Legacy Precious Metals. If your money is sitting in a traditional retirement account, it is getting eaten away right under your nose. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and protect 
your retirement. If you have an existing retirement account, roll it in to a gold or a silver IRA, and you should think about doing it with legacy precious metals. Gold should be a part of every wise investor's portfolio. It's a part of mine. It's going to be a part of my son's portfolio as soon as we get his Social Security number. Legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. So contact Legacy Precious Metals today. Call 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can request some information for free on that website. And if you do, it'll ask you where you heard about it from. And then you will be able to say, you heard it from me, Frank Moreno. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. $1,000 minute, straight ahead. WABC. It's Christmas time all over the world And Christmas here at home The church bells chime wherever we roam To you The snow is thick in most of the world Children's eyes are wide As old St. Nick gets ready to ride to you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Singing about Those Christmas time all over the world. Hey, coming up tomorrow, what do we have planned for tomorrow? Hey, you know who's going to be here? Robert Wall is going to be here, uh, the man who played Arliss. He's not going to be in studio, but he will be on the show tomorrow. Last time we had him on, it was right after the Super Bowl, and uh, I was really impressed with him, not only uh, for his comedic take, but for his knowledge of sports and a bunch of other things. And Jeff Shepard, who was Nixon's defense attorney, during the uh, Watergate incident, he is fi- he says the prosecutors in Watergate actually cheated, and he's going to tell us why. I'm going to talk with him, and um, a, a gentleman named Stephen Kent is going to be here as well. I'm going to talk aliens with him. He's got it, uh, basically. I heard a podcast that he did in which he explores the question: if UFOs land on Earth carrying aliens, would they be peaceful or would we need to call Sigourney Weaver to defend the planet? Fascinating hypothetical and theoretical discussion. So we'll get into that with him. Action Pack show tomorrow. You want to stay in touch? You can do so via Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash Morano fan. Anybody that likes my Facebook page within the next few minutes, I will... Um, I will, I will, I will give you a shout out on air. How's that? Right? Give you, give you one of those. Uh, there was a, a young woman named Miss Shannon who chose to like the Facebook page just recently. That is uh, Randy, Sh- Randy Schenken. 
So thank you. Thank you to Alan Hoffman as well and everybody else. Anybody else that chooses to like the page within the next 10 minutes, we'll give you a shout-out. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Meantime, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Ah, yes, and we, we sweetened the pot a little bit on Friday, and I think we'll continue it uh, this time around as well, uh, where not only did you do you win $1,000 if you answer all 10 questions, but if you answer nine questions correct, you're going to win $500. And if you answer eight questions correct, you're going to win $250. So there's a lot of opportunities to win, and uh, that's that. So those are your three options. Answer eight correct, you win win 250, answer nine correct, win 500. And if you answer all 10 correct in a minute, you, answer, you win $1,000. Let's meet today's contestant, Frankie in Brooklyn. Hello there, Frankie. Hello. Hi, it's Mikey. Oh, it's Mikey. Oh, we got Ryan again. One of the many incorrect pieces of information uh, that Ryan has put on the call screen board today, much like Ralph calling from Manhattan when actuality was calling from New Jersey, as well as uh, a number of other folks. But it's OK. Um, oh, is it OK if I'm from, I mean, it's me? Uh, I, yeah, why not, uh, Mikey? Now, even though you, you were on already, and that would traditionally violate our no no two calls in one show moment, but you you slipped through our rigorous screening process clearly. So uh, well, actually, I said Mikey. I don't know, but yes, uh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's okay, Mikey. Uh, uh, but the screen is a nice guy. Well, I, again, yes, clearly he got his job not through his merits, but his charming personality, <laughs> Mikey. Um, you're familiar with the contest. Yes, yes, sir. Okay, so the key is don't get flustered. These are all easy questions. You have to just not get nervous and just think about it for a half a second and answer. If you answer a question correctly, I'm going to move on to the next question. Got it? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, And uh, if you obviously if you answer a question incorrectly, then the contest is over. All right, ready to go? Yes, sir. Here we go. All right, here we go. How many sides... Does a triangle have? Three. How many legs does a spider have? Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. A thousand? You think a spider has a thousand legs? I don't know. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, that is uh, incorrect, unfortunately, Mikey. A spider has eight legs. Oh, wow. Oh. A thousand? Oh. I mean, you've seen a spider before. You think yeah, it's a think centipede? Little tiny legs, you know, like maybe, you know. Are you thinking a centipede, maybe? Probably, or... yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't okay. win, Frankie. All right, oh, stay. Okay. Stay on hold if you want. We'll give you a complimentary. Or Mikey, not Frankie. Uh, we'll give you a complimentary. The other side of midnight cap. Uh, give give Ryan your information. Uh, although when it gets to you, it might be addressed to Frankie. I would open the package anyway. Uh, take his information if you would, please, Ryan. Thank you. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of an easy question. I was trying to make the second question kind of easy that you have to maybe think for a second, but you know it. A spider, the amount of, you know where I got that question from? I looked up trivia questions that ever, that most first graders would know. And that's where that question came from. And I figured, okay, who doesn't know that a spider has eight legs? But I guess, you know, that's what I'm saying. I think Mikey knew it. He just got flustered. That's the key with that game. 
They're all easy questions in different categories, except towards the very end. But we'll play again tomorrow if you didn't get an opportunity to uh, to have your opportunity to if you didn't have an opportunity to play today. It's the thousand dollar minute. All right. Uh, time now for the 77 WABC clip of the day. And here, my colleague Dominic Carter, who you can hear every day at midnight, he talks about why Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is doing so many of the right things on illegal immigration. So I know a lot of people have talked about DeSantis possibly running or being the top Republican should President Trump not decide to uh, run again. So I haven't really focused that much on DeSantis, but I love the comment. I really do. If you're not going to secure the border and you think that you're going to ship them here, here being defined as Florida in the middle of the night, and, and maybe legally it won't pass legal muster, but still, it's sending the right signals that you're not going to continue to violate the residents of this state and oh, that was sort of an abrupt cut there but okay uh, a fine point by dominic carter nonetheless you could hear dominic each and every day at midnight and uh, that is the 77 wabc clip of the day i don't know i feel like our clips of the day haven't been making it to the other shows as much maybe that's just my perception or maybe i haven't been listening but i feel like there used to be a lot more of our clips on this show matt are we still clipping our our stuff and sending it to the other to the powers yes of we are and we there are. was uh, there was one that that went out last week i believe oh okay all right so be one it. or two i believe maybe maybe i just missed it want to uh, commend or thank rick mcdonald for joining our little Facebook army. You could do the same at uh, facebook.com slash moranofan, Rick McDonald. If you want to, uh, if you want to get a shout out, just like the Facebook page and we will give you one. Coming up in, uh, about, uh, 10 minutes, we will do the 15 seconds of fame where we give you an opportunity to be heard, uh, for 15 seconds. Say whatever you like, pretty much within reason, obviously. And uh, we're taking you until 5 a.m. this morning when you'll get to hear Deborah Valentine anchoring this morning's edition of the 77 WABC Early News. And she will be ably assisted by Frank Diaz, who apparently is just here to do the business reports. So don't ask him about sports. Don't ask him about weather. Don't ask him about traffic. But Frank Diaz will tell you everything you need to know about business today. And so for those of you that are looking to invest, Frank Diaz has his finger on the pulse of what the business community and what Wall Street is saying. So that's uh, that's that. Okay. Uh, let me also tell you a little bit about Life Change Tea. I love Life Change Tea. I drink it just about every day. It is a phenomenal product. That you can get at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. And it is great for you if you're interested in more energy. It's also great for you if you're interested in better digestive health. It is a wonderful product. Look, come Christmas time, we're all eating a lot of junk that we shouldn't be eating. The key is, I think anyway, Getting all that out of your system as quickly as possible. That's what Get the Tea from, or Life Change Tea, rather, from GetTheTea.com does. It keeps everything moving. Gets everything, gets, gets that peristalsis working. 
It's everything out of your system quickly. If that sounds good to you, then you should go to getthetea.com. And when you order some, use the promo code FRANK. Well, let's say you're not interested in better digestion. Let's say you're not interested in more health. There's also a ton of other great supplements on there. Vitamins, stuff for your immune system, stuff for your eye health, stuff for your heart health, stuff for your cardiovascular, stuff for just about anything that ails you. It's all at getthetea.com. And all the products that they sell on there come from the finest ingredients, and they all have one thing in common. Whatever you are ordering, if you order and you use the promo code FRANK, you will get to enjoy free shipping on anything. Free shipping on any of those products. LifeChangeTea.com, promo code Frank, promo code Frank. Speaking of festive holiday eating, one of the traditions in my family is that every year, right around this time, we make struffoli. So this was a, uh, we, we still do this, and we did it Saturday. It was my brother Nicholas's birthday. So a lot of us got together, and we, you know, we set up like an assembly line. One person cuts, one person rolls, one person fries, one person honeys, you know, it's a, it's a whole process. I, at various times, was the roller, the cutter, and the fryer. And uh, truthfully, seems to have come great this year. Six years ago, or thereabouts, five or six years ago, my grandmother, who passed away a few years ago, she came on my radio program at the time to talk about her struthfully making techniques. And I had her debate a friend of my family, my Uncle John, not actually my uncle, but may as well be, on their struthfully making methods. And I was thinking maybe this week, maybe even for our Christmas Eve show on Friday, that we would replay that segment for those of you that are interested in Struffoli. There was one key difference in their two Struffoli making techniques. And it was kind of interesting to hear my, at the time, 95-year-old grandmother arguing with a substantially younger person about how they should do this. So I'm thinking about replaying it. Let, let me know your thoughts on that if you're interested in hearing that. Otherwise, we won't. We won't do that. I tell you what I am going to replay this, this, this Christmas Eve, as I do just about every Christmas. Two great, great things. One, every year that John Gambling was on the radio, he used to do a, a reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. So I'm going to replay that. I'm also going to replay, especially because it's this year. This year is the 40th anniversary of Bob Grant as Ebenezer Scrooge in the WMCA Christmas Carol. So every year for the last few years, I have been replaying this version of A Christmas Carol with Bob Grant as Ebenezer Scrooge. And so I'm going to do that same thing this Christmas Eve as well. So I'm sort of up in the air in terms of whether or not I'm going to play this segment with my grandmother. But I'm certainly going to play that John Gambling reading. I've invited John to come on the show uh, this Friday as well, talk a little bit about Christmas, talk a little bit about different Christmas traditions and some other things. And I'm going to replay that uh, Bob Grant Christmas Carol from 1981. It is the 40th anniversary of that uh, of that recording. And I'll tell you, I'll give you some of the behind-the-scenes flavor of that recording as well. Meantime, want to give a shout-out to Dwight Buck who has made the wise decision to like our Facebook page. He works over at the Sachem 
school district. So he's doing a great job educating a lot of young people there. Thank you, Dwight Buck. If you want to like the Facebook page, you can do so as well. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. It's Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. All right. If you want to start queuing up, now's the time for 15 seconds of fame. That's uh, 800-848-9222. You can say whatever you like to 15 seconds. Shout out as well to Rich Simone, who writes that he loves our show, listens to me every morning, and he also used to listen to me when I was on with Joe Piscopo. Thank you, Rich Simone. Appreciate your patronage. 800-848-WABC, one, two, three, four open lines remain if you want to be heard for 15 seconds. 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC. this song because it's a song, a modern song, about the Christmas truce. Um, Well, sort of modern. It's from 1967, right? But the Christmas truce is something that we never hear about these days. And essentially what the Christmas truce was, and and if you're not familiar with the Christmas truce, after I tell you what it is, I'll let you listen to a little more of the song. The Christmas truce was a, a truce that would occur... During World War One, as you had the warring armies, the British and the German armies trying to kill each other in Europe, guns pointed at one another in trenches, and then all of a sudden, when it's Christmas, they would stop fighting and go and have a Christmas party together. Imagine that. Warring armies trying to kill each other. They take a break. For a day or two and have a drink and sing Christmas carols together. Why can't warring countries act like that today? Am I right? Listen to this. Snoopy, our hero, saluted his host. And then with a roar, they were both on their way. Each knowing they'd meet on some other day. Although, I I have to be honest, I'm not sure if it was historically accurate that Snoopy or any other beagle participated in any of these World War I Christmas parties. That could be a little bit of poetic license from the Royal Guardsmen. I can't say with certitude. 800-848-9222. If you would like to be heard for 15 seconds, we'll do 15 seconds of fame. I want to give a shout-out as well to Todd Reichert. One of the latest people to make the wise decision to like our Facebook page. That's Todd Reichert, 
who is a uh, great guy uh, and he works at Chili's. I don't go to Chili's because I, I'm not fond of chain restaurants, but if I were to go to Chili's, I would go to the one that Todd Reichert works at. Got a nice email here from uh, Joseph who says, Good morning, Frank. I listen to your show because I go to the city for chemo and radiation treatments with the old prostate. And you said, if I like the page, you'll give me a shout out. But there's no provision on the page to like it. It's either join, follow, you know, there's no way to like anything. I can't find it, so I followed, and I have a distant relative, Bernard Meltzer, who used to have a show called What's Your Problem on WOR back in the 70s. Just saying, I've been told I have a voice for radio, but that's another story. Thank you for everything. You're awesome. Keep up the great work. That's from Joseph Meltzer, a relative of Bernie Meltzer. I remember Bernie Meltzer's show. It was quite a good show, actually. Certainly very ahead of its time, I think. All right. 800-848-9222. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-WABC. One open line if you want to jump on board. Let's begin with John in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Oh, um, I want to say that um, Open Borders is uh, not anywhere throughout the world, anywhere. It's only here, and throughout the world, you have to have enough money sometimes to get into a country. And we should allow Russia into NATO if they wish. 800-848-9222. Joe in Orange County. Yes. Uh, Rich Simeone. Are you the school teacher I had in middle school? Uh, if it's true, and you are... All 15 seconds, maybe we could hook up together. 800-848-WABC-TOM in the Bronx. Yes, uh, Frank, find the company that, the real estate company that builds dome houses and, uh, in Florida. They, uh, the dome houses stop a lot of tornadoes from attacking. 800-848-9222, Raji in Manhattan. Before leaving WABC, Curtis Lee daily bashed other hosts' time-killing karaoke music. Upon return, however, Curtis has more than joined them, because he can't beat them. 800-848-9222. Gordon is in Waterloo, Canada. Hi. Welcome back, Frank. <laughs> 800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Yes, Frank. I thought of what to get you for Christmas, and the answer was simple. I'm going to listen to you for another 10 years. Ah, believe me. uh, Make it another 30, and that'll be a great Christmas gift. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four open lines left. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, Frank. I'm kind of sad about that 5 o'clock hour. You and Juliet had great chemistry, like Marie and Pierre Curie. And the other thing is, you'll never get your book back. We want the story, Dory. 800-848-9222. Lou is in the Bronx. Yeah, hi, Frank. Regarding that uh, Christmas truce, the politicians and the generals uh, were very upset. They wanted those people to fight. They refused to fight. The common soldier was the one that wanted a Christmas truce. That's true. That's true. 800-848-9222. Jimmy is in the Bronx. Sizzle morons, sizzle morons. 800-848-WABC. Ralph is in New Jersey. 
Okay, I want to commend three people in here. First, James Golden for writing that excellent book last on the radio. The second is Samaritan, Tan, Samaritan Force for doing God's work in Kentucky. And prior to that, during the height of the pandemic in New York City. Okay, and last but not least, Senator Joe Manson, who I consider the, uh, you know, profile in courage for standing firm for his what he believes in. And his, All right, Ralph, you are beyond 15 seconds. Uh, I think we will end it there. Yeah, it was very interesting to see uh, Joe Manchin and his comments on uh, Fox News yesterday. I uh, I completely agree with Joe Manchin. I think uh, things are going to work out for the best. You know, I was very supportive of that infrastructure bill. And I defended Nicole Maliotakis and others when uh, people criticized her. And then uh, everyone was saying at the time of the infrastructure, well, all the progressives, they, are on, they, they only voted for the infrastructure so they could get this bill back better. And I and others said, look, I have a lot of faith in Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema that they will do the right thing. And sure enough, Joe Manchin did do the right thing and stopped this uh, Build Back Better bill. Uh, strong case to be made that uh, Joe Manchin might be the most influential senator in the U.S. Senate today, along maybe with Kirsten Cinema. So uh, there you have it. I think that was certainly good news. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, hey, tomorrow, speaking of what's happening in New Jersey, some fascinating developments in the New Jersey gubernatorial race. I will bring that to you tomorrow. Uh, those of you that listen to David Wildstein's show, the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, on Saturdays, uh, he had some interesting insight into that as well. So that was uh, really interesting to to listen to. And I'll I'll tell you what he had to say if you didn't get a chance to hear it. And Curtis for the last for the last 22 hours that he's been on the radio this weekend. He's been all over this New York gubernatorial race uh, promoting largely the candidacy of Andrew Giuliani. I'll comment on that race as well, which I think has the potential to be pretty interesting. I'm leaning towards supporting Andrew Giuliani as well, I have to be honest. Uh, my hope was that Tom DiNapoli would get into the race. Doesn't look like he is. Looks like he's going to be running for re-election for controller, which I am all for. And uh, I think uh, Andrew Giuliani might have a lot, to, a lot to offer here. And, hey, do you see the election in Chile? Has some pretty interested, pretty interesting global implications. They they had a runoff election in Chile for president, and you had a far far right wing guy and a far far left wing guy facing off in the runoff. Looks like the left wing guy Gabriel something ended up winning. And to me, what's interesting to watch here is that all of these countries, the United States. Brazil, uh, Chile, they're all making a trend towards populism, whether it's left-wing populism like you saw with Syriza in Greece or whether it's right-wing populism like you saw with Bolsonaro in Brazil and Trump to some extent in the United States. For whatever reason, people all over the world are being are getting fed up with rule of, by, and for the global elites, and you're seeing a movement towards populism worldwide. What does that portend for elections in this country and the rest of the world? I don't know. 
but I do find it to be a pretty interesting trend. I know Steve Hilton chronicles a lot of this on his show on uh, the Fox News channel. But you know the next place that uh, the next two places I should say where I'm interested to see if this manifests itself. One is France because you have several left-wing and right-wing populists all running uh, against Macron in France. And to some extent, you could call Macron a centrist populist because he ran largely as a as an, an antidote to the global elites, although in some ways he does embrace a lot of their agenda. But the other place where I'm interested to see what happens is Libya. Libya is going to have an election. And you know who one of the leading candidates in that election is? Muammar Gaddafi's son. How does that make you feel about all the American intervention? We bring in, we, we, we lose American servicemen, including an ambassador. We spend all this money to get rid of Gaddafi and bring them freedom and free elections. Who do they elect? Gaddafi's son. Maybe, maybe. We're going to be watching it. It's an interesting situation over there in Libya. Hey, uh, if there's any stories that I'm missing, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. Follow me on Facebook, 